You are tuned into Rehumanize Yourself Radio with your host, Herman Oliveira, at 89.5 WPKN in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where we are proudly serving Fairfield, New Haven, Litchfield, and Suffolk counties on the dial, and at WPKN.org, where we are streaming 24-7 across the globe. Another exciting feature of WPKN is our SoundCloud podcast account. This serves as another beautiful virtual portal where we could store all of our interviews that we have with all of our wonderful guests. Speaking of which, I had the honor to interview none other than Ian Asbury, the lead singer and founder of The Cult. And uh, this interview actually happened on July 19th, and uh, it went from being a 45-minute interview to a three-hour conversation, and I've taken the liberty of cleaning it up a bit and sharing it with you right here. I hope you enjoy. I I would really uh, like to start off by saying that it's an extreme honor to have this opportunity to interview you. You know, I consider your music sacred, and I'm forever grateful that you created it. You know, I have so many precious and fond memories where your music served as the soundtrack (laughs) for those special moments in my life. And uh, I'm really super stoked that we have new material, you know, some freshly, uh, that freshly released single, Give Me Mercy, amazing, you know, off of your new album, which is... Is, uh, set to uh, be released in October, is it? Right. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, I'm so looking forward to that. And yeah, and your current U.S. tour, you know, I'm catching you guys at College Street this Sunday, College Street Music Hall in uh, yeah. New Haven, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm, I'm going to see if I can make tomorrow night's uh, show because you're over in uh, New York City, and uh, I always like to catch you guys at least two or three times when you come to the area. So, uh, so yeah, l- let's kick uh, things off. Let's talk about your new 11th uh, studio album. Uh, could we talk about that? Of course. So it's called Under the Midnight Sun, and like I stated before, it's going to be, is it going to be released October 7th, is it? I'd say the 7th or the 9th. Okay, all right. And, I, uh, I, uh, I, yeah, we have a single coming out as well at the time, so I'm not sure on the scheduling whether it's the 7th or the 9th, or the single drops first, and then two days later the album drops, but it's definitely early October. So you are going to release another single on top of Gimme Mercy? Before, yeah, I mean, it's tradi- you know, it's traditional now format. Uh, we'll be dropping tracks throughout, but, you know, it's just the way things roll out, mm. you kind of find a natural, there's a rough plan, but you kind of follow the, the, the bio rhythms of the, of, 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 of how the music's being received and you have to respond to the moment. So yeah, there's and- no, in my head, anyway, there's no real plan. Plan. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a rough plan from the label, but I tend to deviate from the plans anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and it really th- just following your career. Yeah, you you've always done. You've always uh uh you know stayed on your own path, which I've always really appreciated. Both your independent work that you've done, you know, with other artists, and uh, just as as the cult, uh, I always felt that you guys were genreless. If if that's safe to even say, uh, you couldn't really put a label on you. You are the cult. Say whatever you want. And that's that. Say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that and, and and that's what always kept things really uh, refreshing. You know, because you just never knew what you guys were going to come up with, what new sound 
sounds, uh, even your presence. I've always felt that you guys were the ultimate shape shifters, if you will, uh, sort of like chameleons in a way. Just when you thought you understood who the cult was, it was like, all right, they, uh, you know, they turned to left when I assumed they would take a right. So, uh, so yeah, I, you know, I caught your video, uh, once it was released for give me mercy. Could you talk a little bit about the, it, it seemed a little, uh, dark and mysterious yet it's this, this beautiful song. Uh, did you have any creative control, uh, over that whole process? Absolutely. That's why it looks the way it does. <laughs> yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, something I always wrangle. That's something I always wrangle, especially with the visual narrative. Is creative control? I'm always very hands-on with visual narrative, as with visual first. And I kind of grew up with visual arts mm-hmm. in many ways before. Well, music and visual arts. I, I have a whole visual arts life, which I don't really revealed to the public mm. but um i've pretty much been involved since day one even southern death cult with visual arts and visual creative direction and whether it's my own wardrobe or how i look or present myself to the actual visual graphics or or film clips forgive me mercy there was so many layers it's actually from a treatment i'd written for a short film Mm-hmm. So we kind of we kind of butchered it in some ways mm-hmm. because we have very limited dollars and we had very limited time and resources. Mm-hmm. So we kind of took uh, we took elements of a of a treatment I'd written for a short film, which I hope to get made later this year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, the a lot of the influences are nuanced um from the monks to the marie antoinette character to the desert landscapes um the monastic silhouettes you know they're all nuanced and tend to fall in the realms of visceral information whereby the viewer it's subjective to the viewer it's really not to be ambiguous, but it's, it is open to interpretation. Everything is anyway, mm-hmm. you know, Batman's open to interpretation. Everybody could identify with Batman as a lead character or not. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an archetype. So in many ways I was trying to present these archetypes, these, these elemental, uh, vignettes, and they all have certain representations. Um, <clears throat> the idea of give me mercy. One of the major themes of the song is, is a new language. I think ultimately I'm speaking about psychedelics. Mm-hmm. I think we've exhausted talking. I agree. I totally agree with you. And it's Honestly, funny. So we're, talk, we're talked out. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing to say it's anymore. Not, it's about doing. We need to... It's not getting know. done. No. It's, we've, had, we've had millennia mm-hmm. of poets, artists, uh every single conflict imaginable with the individual existential spiritual crisis Mm -hmm. or wars or we've had high culture. We've had destruction of cultures. We've had atomic bombs. We've put humans on the moon, Mm -hmm. et cetera. We're going to put women on the moon. The Artemis mission is coming up. There's going to be, 
there'll probably be a Mars mission in our lifetime. I mean, there's been profound things happening in human mm-hmm. and the, the most horrific, at what cost? And the, you know, state, current state of affairs globally, I don't know what, who's looking at what, but if you, Europe right now is burning. Yes. They've had the highest temperatures on record. Mm-hmm. So all your climate deniers out there who live in their little hermetically sealed worlds of conservative news cycles, they're, Google isn't going to give you all the answers. Mm-hmm. But if you travel like we do and you see it with your own eyes and have those visceral experiences, please take our word for it. It's going down. You are speaking my language. Uh, everything I've seen is just it with my own eyes. <clears throat> seen it with my own eyes. I've yeah. experienced it. I've been on the other end of it. You know, I happen to be I'm a beekeeper, not, yeah. and uh, there are people well, that love to argue. Are you? You're. You know, so it, it's as as a beekeeper. Uh, you know, I get to witness this on a daily. You know, like here in Connecticut, because I'm mm-hmm. based in Connecticut. Uh, you, right. you, you, so when we have those uh, unusually warm February days, where it's in the 60s and even 70s, where everyone's excited that they could just you know wear a t-shirt or a light sweater. I'm over here freaking out because I'm like, all right, the bees actually think it's the spring. There is nothing for them to forage. There is no pollen. There's no nectar out there. And that is living proof that, uh, yeah, global warming is a real thing. And uh, once those pollinators go, it's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're soon to follow. But, yeah, you're speaking my language, brother. Um, and I've always, yeah, I've always felt that, even with your artwork, this is stepping back a little bit. I always felt that there was something else going on. It, oh, at, at, you know, I'm talking about <laughs> ever since I discovered you guys, uh, I always felt that there was something going on with the artwork and that there was a, a, a message there. There was something deeper going on. So uh, thank you so much for confirming that there was. And you have, you know, creative control uh, over that. And so yeah, now I, mean, I don't have the entire correct control. <clears throat> it, it is a collaboration with Billy Duffy. Yes. <clears throat> the cult is a collaboration. So Billy and I have quite polarized views in, in many ways, but mm-hmm. we also have a lot of, of, of interdependency in terms of an alchemy that, mm-hmm. that works. And I always, you know, and, as a fan, yeah. I always got that, even with your stage presence, you both, it's yin and yang somewhere. You, you come right there, you know, in that you strike a balance, you, you get centered. Uh, I do see that you're two uh, different individuals. So what is Absolutely. the, what's the creative process like uh, when, I'm not saying that you're polar opposites because there is that, uh, mm. that middle uh, what is the creative process like uh, when you're fleshing out new tunes, you know, giving birth to new music? Is it, is it, uh, um, do you, I'm not going to say that, that, that you fight, but, uh, you know, is it challenging um, or do you have some sort of a brotherly, I mean, honestly, you would have not be together for 11 albums if you didn't have some sort of brotherly connection because there were other bands that would have given up a long time ago. How do you strike that balance? And yeah, what's take me through the whole creative process. It's really about self-knowledge. You know, knowing yourself is very important. You knowing the authenticity of, of the experiences that you're trying to convey is very important. So being honest, being authentic, 
individually and collectively. Mm. Um, that's a really important thing. So setting the groundwork for communication, which when you're kids, it's completely different. I mean, you're incredibly naive, earnest. I mean, I had a lot of experiences growing up, so I had a lot of worldly <clears throat> knowledge, but I was still a kid. And, you know, as did Billy. Um, we both grew up initially in Northern Britain, industrial, you know, cities. I grew up near Liverpool and Glasgow. Billy grew up in Manchester, both known for their shipyards and their, their, their I mean, the fact the center of the industrial revolution where our global warming originated was from, you know, the British empire's 1851 industrial revolution. The steam train was first railways happened in that part of the world. Factories were, you know, and um, do you feel that that influenced, uh, definitely influenced mills. the sound? <laughs> the satanic mills. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, you know, of course, look at the look at the bands that have come out of Liverpool and Manchester, for God's sake. Yeah. Come on. From the Beatles to Joy Division, yeah. et cetera, I rest my case. Yes, yes. It just, yeah. <laughs> Why do these bands come out of this area? Same reason that the bands come out of Seattle or bands come out of New York. It's environmental. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about Blakey and Satanic Mills and, yeah, that's what we grew up in, these incredibly polluted. We're playing in bombed out buildings as kids. Mm -hmm. They hadn't repaired they hadn't repaired these things since World War Two. Mm -hmm. I grew up in an area that was the second heaviest bombed area of Britain, besides London, which was Liverpool. The Germans bombed that area heavily. My father was a refugee. Mm -hmm. As a war refugee, literally was a refugee, was displaced was displaced because of bombing experience bombing so <clears throat> that gets passed on that gets passed on generationally you know my grandparents fought in world war ii mm -hmm. ptsd survivors grew up in that environment and that's why the the firmament you know that region produced artists such as the beatles and such as you know, creating a John Lennon and an Ian Curtis because of those areas and what went into it, or a Morrissey, or a Stone Roses, you know? And um, there it is. So we grew up in those those areas. And then I had to, I went to North America when I was a kid, 11, I went to Canada. So I, then I was an immigrant. <clears throat> so I was the immigrant son of, of war refugees. Let's put it in context. Mm -hmm. I can actually authentically make that statement. That's... And, you know, growing up with that PTSD and that kind of energy and having a father and a mother who were really in love with everything from Vincent van Gogh to Paul Robeson. And my father was in the Merchant Navy. He traveled the world. He was going from these areas like Rio de Janeiro, South Africa. I mean, he saw the world as a young man. And so our house, even though it was a working class household, was had a little bit of experience coming in through the door, you know. My father brought in a lot of also his energy. He was a he was a you know, a displaced kid 
because of bombing. So he had mm-hmm. PTSD and that was that was definitely inflicted upon the family in a way that was difficult. I mean, alcoholism was rampant in that part of the world. People coped, working class people coped with destroying themselves, smoking, drinking, etc. you know. Um, but then there was a high cultural element in our house because father, my father was trying to, he didn't want us to grow up the way he grew up. And so culture was always supported on our household, even in a very humble way. We didn't go to university. I never went to university or academia. I had to learn myself. Mm-hmm. But then my gateways were things like David Bowie and George Orwell. And, and there you have it. That um, was your launch pad. And yeah, I so guess... They talk, about the, they talk about the creative process. So that's just some context of what goes in the room is the people involved and having some knowledge of that, of who you really are. <clears throat> Knowing where your authentic where your authentic edges is really important. And I mean we've tried many different processes. We've had we've had highly commercial processes where we've had pop producers. Mm-hmm. For example, um, you know, Steve Brown. Yes. We we went to an interview in London. We thought we were meeting Steve Lillywhite. Really? Yeah, we thought we were gonna meet Steve Lillywhite. We met a producer called Steve and we didn't really realise until halfway through the interview that he wasn't Steve Lillywhite. He was Steve Brown. Wow. And he, and he produced Wham! And we were like, yeah. what? <laughs> that would have been interesting sounding. <laughs> well, it was. He yeah. produced South Century. Yeah. And the Love Album. Yeah. So no, no, but meaning, no, meaning, you know, here he produced, you know, Wham! and whatnot. You know, how about if you didn't stand your ground? You know, there, there are certain yeah. producers that leave, you know, that they sort of influence uh, certain artists to go in a different direction. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. But that, again, that just self-knowledge, that's what, at the, at the end of the day, defines what comes out of the speakers is, is how much you put into it or how much you let a producer have influence or sway. Some producers are very good at creating an environment where you're kind of forced down a certain path. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's in the can and you're standing back. I've got a lot of friends who are actors as well. They say they don't even watch their own films. And um, they do the work. They leave the set. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, they do that with the music. I listen to what's happening, but I don't really go back and revisit the records. I'm already on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently living with under the midnight sun because mm-hmm. there's still so many layers in it that even I'm pulling it apart going, Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's what I was saying. You know, I'm still finding revelations within that. Yeah. I've always found that the, you guys really don't go back. You really move forward. You're, you're, you're on to the next. Uh, and I think that's what keeps, you know, your sound fresh. You're not really relying on your, on your past. And again, you're, you're still creating, giving birth to new music. Uh, and it's beautiful, uh, beautiful music. Um, Thank you. And um, yeah, so it's so yeah, I was actually going to ask that, you know, do you look back fondly at any particular album? I mean, you kind of just said it right now. You just you're, you're living in it right now with with your new material. But I know that, um, you know, certain artists, they look back at a certain period fondly. You don't have you. Do you, do you not create time for that? Really not in my consciousness. Okay. So it's many occasions somebody, somebody will show me a picture or something or I'll see something from the past. And in many ways, 
this info, you know, it there is contradiction, and I'm comfortable with with being contrary. It's part of life. Yeah. It's it's part of the human dynamic. Is there's a, there is contradiction in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, that's human nature. This 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 kind of revelation from especially media so individuals. Well, you're contradicting yourself. You're yeah. It's like yes, absolutely. I've learned something new. I have a new insight, which changes the information. Even the Dalai Lama looks at quantum physics, which contradicts Buddhist Dharma teaching and will change the teaching mm-hmm. because he's picked up a new piece of information in that very moment, which could change again in the next moment. As you're talking about the bees, they get a certain information, they respond in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, same with us. And, um, but in terms of you know nostalgia, rose-tinted glasses, there may be a glimpse or a cheeky, you know, memory, but it goes by and I'm very grounded in the present moment. I practice that. So it's not stoically. I don't have a stoic practice. I'm not rigid. I'm very fluid in that way. Mm-hmm. I can adapt to environments. It's all about chameleon. It's already being chameleon, more like reflecting the authenticity of the moment. Yes. So from that perspective, um, we're neither past we need a future we're in present and that's all you've got to operate from is what where you're at and you're confirming a lot of things that i that i always assume that you're sort of like the tibetan mandala sand art where it's like all right here's this beautiful (laughs) piece of work let's let's put it in a case but no you go and you erase it you know and on to the next you know well in permanence and that's 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 an actual we know this now, does, no Billy, does Billy think the same way uh, or is this, you know, because I'm, I'm interviewing you. Does, do you know if, I don't know if you could speak on behalf of Billy, but is, you know. Um, I couldn't. You'd have to ask him. Yeah. I couldn't speak for Billy in that way. That's, you know, he is his own, uh, his own person. Yeah. And, and I he's an authentic, and he's an authentic person and he would probably possibly have there's times when he really surprised me and he'll share something insightful and I'll be like he really got the nuance I really feel that Billy understands the space that we work in mm-hmm. and that I'm particular and it comes and he sees the authenticity and in, in, in the earnestness in that and he identifies with that it's his this is, this is his house as much as it's my house. Mm-hmm. And and we work together and we find that space where we don't really discuss it at great length. Mm-hmm. Although I may <clears throat> I may impart some influential, you know, inspiration in the moment I'll be going on about this album, for example, I could be talking about a festival in Finland in nineteen eighty six when for the first time I ever saw the sun, it's, you know, not setting below the horizon mm-hmm. at midnight, which is where the title emanates from, but it's much more than that. <clears throat> or we're talking about, you know, I'm talking about Brian Geisen or Brian Peorage or Nia Simone or whatever I'm talking about, Moody Mokhtar, the sub-Saharan African scene that's exploding right now. Mm-hmm. Um, my my interest in, in music from that region, how important Morocco is 
how important Brian Jones's trip to Morocco was working with the master musicians of Jujuka, how that plays into the, the firmament of rock music, rock and roll, whatever we want to call it. Mm-hmm. But, but I think we're post-wave now. I'm saying that this is post-wave. Yeah. We're post-genre. We're, we're past all of this. Yes. Genres, cultural apartheid. Mm-hmm. We're past it all now. <clears throat> Everything's been appropriated by everybody at some point. The Romans appropriate the Greeks, the Greeks appropriated the Hindus, they appropriate the Babylonians, etc., etc. It goes back and back and back and back. You know. So it's really interesting hey, to hear. Yeah. I, I love that you're listening, going beyond, again, it's genreless. There, you know, we're, we're at a point in music right now. It's like, yeah, why do we have to throw anything into a box? Uh, but I've <clears> always <throat> felt that with your music, there were other influences, worldly influences. And it's, so it's interesting. Yes, you, you know, you just didn't stay in the UK, you know, as, as a child, you got yeah. to, 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 to travel. So that influence carries over. Like there were a lot of times where I would hear sort of like an Eastern, uh, you know, influence, mm. uh, a sound mm. where, uh, you know, where it, it would shine through. And I'm like, there's something deeper going on here. You know, this was inspired by something way bigger that's going on, you know, in, in, in the whole music scene, at least in the popular music scene. So that's, am I correct in saying that, that that's what you were tapping into? You were inspired by these worldly sounds that you continue to search today? I'd probably put it down to, again, growing up in a port city with a father who traveled the world mm-hmm. um, as part of that. And also between moving between England and Scotland was a huge cultural shift, believe mm-hmm. it or not. The Scots are very different than the English. Really? And people of Liverpool are very different than the Glaswegians. Yeah, the, I mean, the Scots are more descendant, Celtic descent, um, more tribal people in many ways, um, quite akin to indigenous Americans and indigenous tribes and peoples. They have their own language, mm-hmm. cultural traditions, um, which is evident in, you know, contemporary Wicca, mm-hmm. uh, paganism, which is, there's a revival of that in the UK right now. Mm-hmm. People are turning away from secular religions and going yes. back to tradi- traditional values, more earth-based. I feel we are getting back to basics is what we're getting. Feminine, at. yeah. F- feminine feminine biorhythms. Mm-hmm. The, it's invaluable being more in tune with the natural nature's rhythms, which aren't always good. Mm-hmm. I mean, nature could be nature could be brutal <laughs> as well. We, we know, we're, we're, we're witnessing it right now. Mm-hmm. She, she can be brutal as well as she can be a provider, but also a taker. And there's, there's a duality, of course. Um, but then growing up in North America, uh, being exposed, I was considered to be other when I was an immigrant kid. Mm. I was other from the tradition, the kids that were born there. Wow. So my, my social group was other immigrants from Jamaica, Turkey, wherever, and the indigenous kids. So I was exposed to indigenous culture and I was exposed to other cultures. I was, you know, I'd have meals in my friend's house who was a Muslim. I'd have meals in a friend's house who's from Kingston, Jamaica. I'd have friends, you know, I'd hang out with my indigenous friends. I'd go to the reservation on school trip. And so I was exposed to these other cultures and other ways of viewing the human experience. And that intrigued me 
from a very early age. And then art, of course, you know, certain pictures. And then, of course, David Bowie, uh, who really was exploring everything. There will and, never be another and, David Bowie. And I heard you in an interview and you, yeah. you pretty much summed it up that when he did pass, it was like all of the planets just fell out of orbit. Um, oh, absolutely. And I felt that. I, I, I felt that yeah. myself. Still feel it. Still feel it. Many, it's, many do. And I, I feel fortunate to have spent time in his presence. And I feel fortunate to have had his music in my life since I was 10 years old mm -hmm. and younger. Um, first single I bought was Life on Mars, with my own money. That was your first? My first purchase at wow. 10 was Life on Mars. Wow. I remember buying the single. I still have it. That's awesome. So you still, I was going to ask you that. This was something towards <laughs> the, the tail end. Are you a collector of music? Do you collect mm. uh, records or do you just hold on to things that are sacred to you from, you know, from your childhood? Well, everything's transitory. I mean, you don't actually own any of it. It, it'll all go back to the earth at some point. Yeah. Um, but I definitely have a few talismans pieces in my life. Very, very small, very humble, quite humble. I don't have a, I don't have a basket hanging on my wall. Mm -hmm. I'd love one. I'd love one to experience and that would get handed on. But, you know, uh, I do have a signed Warhol uh, print with Russell Means on it, which is... Mm -hmm really dear to me. I have a, a signed Rauschenberg print, but they, they're pretty trash. They're not, they're not, you know, most people consider them to be low grade, but I love them because they do have patina and tarnish and, mm. and I acquired them for very little money, to be honest with you. And, and there was something about these discarded, unwanted, uh, pieces of works with, the signatures of of artists I admire. I, I have a Basquiat postcard that I acquired. That's room. You know, it hasn't been authenticated, but mm. everybody I've shown it to is the Basquiat was selling these in Washington Square Park. Wow. You know, yeah. the, there's this provenance on this piece, and I actually had a friend, Matt Dyke, who produced Paul's Boutique and and uh, create the the breaks for the witch and, and of course Rick Rubin used him for Jay-Z's 99 problems etc mm -hmm. he was a very close friend of Jean-Michel Basquiat and when Jean-Michel went to Hawaii he left a ton of paintings with my friend Matt Dyke in his studio and we were working in the studio and we were you know having a few drinks shall we say leaning up against Basquiat mm -hmm. and I was like what's this and he goes it's Jean-Michel's painting he's going oh yeah Basquiat, right? And it goes, yeah. And it goes, but at the time he was still alive. So, and he was around and he was just another character in a panoply of, you know, characters that were around in that period of time. Oh, yeah. And uh, who was to know that I was probably leaning on about, you know, half a billion dollars worth of art. Yeah. <laughs> Hindsight is uh, twenty twenty. It, it, but that, that, that and, it, that and a quart will get you a cup of coffee. Yeah. Really, that was my experience. Mm -hmm. so. um, 
Yeah, no, I, I just, sometimes you just don't really realize that what, what you have in that moment. Uh, and then, you know, then when it's gone, it's, that's where, uh, yeah, you start longing <laughs> for, you know. Well, yeah, you have that ennui, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have that longing, that kind of melancholic longing, but I tend not to live in that space. Yeah. I feel it. Mm -hmm. I feel a longing for nature. I feel a longing for the depths of a forest or watching the sunset on Everest, which I, I've experienced. I do get that, that from you where yeah, you're yeah. an appreciator. It shines through in your, because there is a heavy indigenous, you know, uh, art, uh, at least in the direction that you, that, that, that you give us, that you're heavily, you're, you're tied to the earth because we're not separate from, you know, Mother Earth, Pachamama. We're part of her. Oh, um, of course. So, do you feel that again? This is sort of like stepping back here with your uh, your exposure to having indigenous uh, friends, the the ones that took you in as family. Is that what yes. really influenced uh, the heavy uh, indigenous art on your you know um, again with your uh, with all of your visuals? Is that something that really is near and dear to you? Yeah, well, they're, they're archetypes as well because mm -hmm. they don't just exist in uh, North American indigenous mm -hmm. culture. Um, they exist in many different cultures. Yes. There's, there's other traditions, indigenous traditions, mm -hmm. which are still alive today and practiced in, and even Europe. There's a renaissance of indigenous culture in Europe right now, and a huge resonance, a uh, renaissance, um, where people are just tired of the regular secular programming and they're walking away and discovering that wow, we were traditional peoples too. We were closer to the land. Mm -hmm. We were closer to the biorhythms of, of the, you know, the stars and the oceans, the tides, the moon. And getting back into those harmonies, like the bees, the bees are out of sync. You know, the bees are picking up on the frequencies of human mm -hmm. negative uh, choices. And, and also humans, Experience that too, and we're going back to simpler, more traditional values and stepping away from. While some people are getting more integrated into AI and digital technology, which we all rely on, depend on, and use, um, we're also looking at the value of spending time with a tree. And then, know, you know, um, yeah. And yeah, that's becoming way more, especially during the pandemic. I felt that there were a lot of, uh, you know, individuals trying to get back to earth. Uh, you know, uh, uh, obviously our, we live in a pop a pill society. I know you had mentioned psychedelics before. I frequent uh, the Amazon and Andes via uh, Ecuador. Mm. And so I am ex exposed to uh, all the, you know, there's various tribes that I'm connected with and whatnot. And I'm seeing way more uh, people that you would have never in a million years would have thought that you would have crossed paths with them. Again, they're, they're seeking the truth. They want to get back to basics. They want to strip. Yeah. The pharmaceutical companies let them down. They can't get a hold of their, uh, their anxiety, their depression. And yeah, they're looking for natural ways to balance all of that. How do you yeah. strike your balance, you know, uh, on, on a day-to-day, -day, especially when you're touring? First of all, I don't – it's easy to blame the pharmaceutical companies, mm -hmm. so the malaise and the dis-ease yes. and the psycho 
the exploitation of our disconnection from natural biorhythms. Well, it's a very easy target, but ultimately, when you have that realization, you do have autonomy. Mm-hmm. You can make other choices. Yes. You know, they're letting you know who they are. They're pretty clear about who they are. They're businesses. Yeah. We know this. And how can you disrespect that? And I don't mean to poo-poo them, uh, because in all honesty, we need to strike a balance. (laughs) They serve their purpose. Exactly, (laughs) because pharmaceuticals have helped many, many, many people who struggle with depression and anxiety and mental health issues. And that's that's I think the angle, the angle I think that yeah. I was taking there is some people, rather than try to find a natural, we're always looking for shortcuts. So, yeah, no, we have to have that balance. We would be well, in a lot no of shortcuts. Yeah. No, there's absolutely no shortcut. Yeah. Every option has been tried. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Yeah. Here we are. Because previous generations have tried shortcuts. And this idea that you have an angry Right, rightly so, young people are incredibly angry and frustrated with this moment and the lack of leadership and mentorship from adults. Um, they were also the children. They were also children at some some point, and they were let down by their parents and a generation before that. This is multi generational. This goes back hundreds of years, yes. thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So at some point. Finding the common ground is that takes a, it's a lot harder to listen and interact and find the common ground. If I can do it in a band with Billy, then I hold high hopes for everybody because we go at it. Mm-hmm. We really have some blowouts. And at the end of the day, we find a space where we both agree. And it's usually something that's not quantifiable. It's frequencies. We work with music. We're frequency workers. We work within frequencies. So we tend to be united on certain biorhythms and frequencies. And at the end of the day, the words and the images, it all boils down to the frequency, which comes and goes. It's an experiential uh, communicative process. So and it's music. Music's the glue. It's the medicine. And it, yeah, it's it's part. You know, it's definitely it's definitely part of the space, and um, it can be something that, that it can be entertaining. I mean, pop music's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Pop music can be incredibly uh, celebratory, and uh, there's so much pop that I love. I love pop. I mean, high frequency, high fructose. You know, you're in it, and yeah. it's, it's really in the moment. It, there's nothing like being in a club when it's yeah. rammed and they're playing a piece of music which has got the dance floor packed and mm-hmm. there's a high energy frequency and everybody's celebrating and in that space. But there's also times when you create something like a Johan Johansson hits a chord and everybody weeps mm-hmm. and you feel that you feel that longing, you feel that melancholia, you feel that as Robert Bly said the problem started when they lost touch with the wild animals. Mm-hmm. You feel the weight of a statement like that. Or a Bukowski, your life is your life. Do, you be, do not be clubbed into dank submission. 
if you're going to go, go all the way. Mm-hmm. It may cost you. If you're going to do something, go all the way. Be all in. And Amen. that's pretty much how I roll. Uh, and it comes with its own, you know, the projections. The projections, I've had everything projected on me. As a, even as a child, because I had floppy hair, long hair when I other kids had short hair at my school, or I had high cheekbones and I was in vogue, so I was, you know, like, considered to be a certain... I remember having, an alt, not an altercation, but uh, Sonic Youth. I met them in a TV station, mm-hmm. and I was I met them, and I was so excited to meet them, and I was telling them that I loved their record, Daydream Nation, and they looked at me strangely, and I spoke to the VJ, the video, <laughs> right? Yeah. Video jockey. And I said, that was amazing. I just met Kim and Thurston from Sonic Youth, and I was so excited. And and he said, yeah, we played your video. And I said, do they like it? And she said, no, they didn't. And oh, I was wow. like, oh, I was so bummed. But, you know, that's not to say they should like it. Yeah. It's, you know, and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't change my opinion of their music or them. But it was so disappointing that but a lot of people couldn't get past the way I looked. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't put it together. Even the, the British media were brutal with me. Brutal. You know, even went after my my parents. Really? My mother must have been sniffing glue to give birth to somebody like this. Ian Asprey is two TP short of a reservation. Oh, my Racist God. Racist comment. Racist comment mm-hmm. made by a journalist who writes for The Guardian. Wow. Let's name her, Barbara Ellen. A racist comment from a Guardian journalist. Wow. It, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's amazing. It, you know, you know, how no, we judge. Amazing. It's not amazing. It's not amazing. No, no, no meaning. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it's, you know? It, it's awful, you know. Um, yeah. People are awful. We, we, we can be awful, but we're also human. Yes. And somewhere we've got to work it out. Yeah. You know, I mean, who's, not everybody's right and not everybody's wrong. Mm-hmm. But definitely what's happening right now in the United States, we've got to get a cap on the violence. Yeah. We've got to get a cap on the violence. We've got to get a cap on children feeling terrified. We've got to get a cap on uh, women's reproductive rights. This is this has gone beyond the pale now. Oh, yes. Born and raised in this country. On the pale. Born and raised in this country, I wake up some mornings and I wonder what country I'm actually living in. I don't really recognize it. It's not the country that I was born and raised in, you know, where I thought music brought people together i really thought that there was a blending we were heading in a beautiful direction and i really think music was the medicine what what conservatives fail to realize is that the culture that americans appreciate for and part of america's cultural status in the world is based upon its diversity it was based upon its openness and its ingenuity and its integration of different cultural the intersection of different cultures and languages and America, the idea of America still attracts so many people. I'm an American citizen. I've spent nearly 50 years of my life in North America. Mm -hmm. So I paid my taxes. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, with all that said, uh, 
sometimes you say something that ruffles feathers and people get upset. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I appreciate that everyone has a different perspective and we can agree to disagree. But I think one thing that really grabs us all is that what we can all agree upon is do you like oxygen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> do you know the, the basic photosynthesis process? If you know your basic sciences, you cannot deny Without oxygen, you can wave your flag all day long. Yeah. You're made in China tiki torch on your parade. Where do you think your coffee comes from? Exactly. Yeah. Wake up and smell the coffee, etc. And then there's music. Yeah. Shut up and sing is what some people say at our shows. Shut up and sing. Yeah, I don't get that. Do you I feel do. that there's they're a disconnect? They're uncomfortable. Do you think no, that they're uncomfortable? You've they're never within themselves. But have you ever experienced this? Oh, quiet. Always, every show. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing the disconnect where, when you guys perform, I know that there's something else going on. It's almost like a ceremony. There's a ritual. I know that you get into this space where it's like, all right, you're, labels, you're, the labels that keep it all separate and special and kind of mystical it, it, yeah. this is a birthright it's there for everybody call it whatever you want but i mean live live music experience is transcendent it can be it, at the best times it can be the best experience mm-hmm. of, of your life at, at the worst of times it could still be a really good experience yeah um something always comes away with it but the cult show i mean we're not a cult in the sense of some you know, there's no uh, hidden agenda. There's no uh, Machiavellian, uh, uh, you know, nephorous mm-hmm. <laughs> intention. Yeah. This is just a pure, expressive group. And we are part of an industry, and this is our livelihood as well. Yeah. So, as much as there's the esoteric and the, you know, those frequencies, there's also the commercial, we sell T-shirts. Yeah. We, you know, we depend upon fossil fuels to get us down the road. Mm-hmm. We try to minimize that impact. And we're looking at ways in our industry of attempting to, everyone's like, yeah, but you guys, you do this and that. It's like, well, so do you, babe. Yeah. Where you think your tax dollars go when you buy your McDonald's? Mm-hmm. Where do you think those dollars go? They don't go back in your pocket. Yeah. They go in somebody else's pocket. So are you looking at alternative ways, you know, because I... uh, Always. Yeah. Always. We're doing our best. I mean, our industry hasn't made the transition, you know, and again, it's the the wherewithals of... You've got a Daniel Eck who's using music to build a platform, Spotify, which I actually really enjoy, Mm. Spotify. I was a Spotify denier at one point, but I actually embraced Spotify. Do you? I, I, personally, wow. I personally like the Spotify platform. Yeah. But in terms of its, uh, what it's done to the ecosystem of music, it's, it's been quite destructive. Yeah. And um, his personal wealth is, what, $4.5 billion? It's something outrageous like that, yeah. Never played a single note of music in his life. Musicians are hanging off the back of bathroom doors. Mm. People who 
depend on music for their emotional and spiritual sanctity and sanity. You struggle every day. You use your platform. I'd love to see an initiative from some of these guys and girls and those that identify as other to actually look at the impact that they have on the ecosystem of what is truly isn't owned by anybody. Yeah. These are, these are frequencies. It all goes back to the earth. You can take the $4.5 billion all day long, but you're going to go out the same way you came in. You know, it's, it, 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 you know, going, you know, this whole Spotify, like, do you feel that they treat some artists better than others or are they treating everybody equally? Like everyone's just getting pennies. Of course. Of course. All the majors went in there and cut the deals mm-hmm. very quickly. I mean, all the big majors went and made deals with the, the Apples and the Spotify's and the Deezers and the Pandora's. They, you know, they, they made, they put, everyone said, finals back. Yeah. Well, vinyl never went away because independent companies continued to produce vinyl. And when the majors realized that technology was taking away those dollars of tactile product, they went like, hey, people are selling vinyl. Let's reissue all our catalogs yeah. that we own the contracts to of artists that have died mm-hmm. <clears throat> alone, isolated, in anxiety, in emotional and psycho-spiritual pain in a, in a hotel room somewhere. Let's take all those catalogs. And, and sell them or cut the deals where we get profit margin. Come on, everyone. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah, it's getting and, and it's getting a little ridiculous now when you purchase some of these uh, vinyl records where they're they're not even uh, from the original masters. It's literally pressed from the CD <laughs> where yeah, you exactly. get home. So the, yeah. And the quality is there. But that, that's all, you know, that's all. Okay, we're, that's nice that you feel that way, but we're going to do this anyway. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you accept that. We live in acceptance of that the, there is a different narrative. There is a different paradigm. There's different optics. Shall we use that phrase? Very worn out phrase. Um, there's a shift in that. Mm-hmm. But within that, again, as we've said through this conversation, finding the balance. Mm-hmm. Because I do not, there's individuals that have come from very humble beginnings and have gone to the very top of the fields or pursuits and worked really hard. And the fact that they could be, you know, lionized as being some pariahs and, you know, that's, that's unfortunate. Because even for myself, I mean, people assume that you have a certain, you live a certain privileged lifestyle. Well, that's true to an extent. And I'm very aware of that. I'm very grateful for, for, for everything I have in my life. But I also started as a kid off the street. I was homeless. Mm-hmm. I had to beg for food. I know what it's like to be homeless and afraid and confused and not knowing where my next roof over my head was going to come. And I've had that experience, and that will always be an authentic experience for me. And there's not a day that I, I wake up and I feel that anybody owes me anything. 
and I try and live my life according to those principles and and uh, it makes people uncomfortable. So you know, I'm sure there's people listening to this that would feel contrary to the way I feel. So, but that's the way it is. But yeah, that authentic that that authenticity it shines through in the music um, where. Yes, you're coming from an authentic space. It's not forced, you know, um, which brings me to the production, you know, uh, the intentionality and everything that you're delivering out there. Um, are you one of those where you want to keep the the because there's perfection and imperfection? Do you try to polish <laughs> things? Do you fight for that? You know, because there is true intentionality when you're singing. It's like, it's like, yeah. all right, I believe that. But today, in today's day and age, you know, with Pro Tools, where everything is softened up yeah. and all the all the edges mm -hmm. are, are taken off, you, you don't get that, you know. Do you fight for that? I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always fighting. I'm always keep, trying to keep it as imperfect as possible. So you embrace the, uh, the, the, the cracks, the, yeah. I hated my voice for years. I really didn't like the way I sounded. Really? I was just, no, I was very uncomfortable with it my voice. It is so unique. <laughs> that's what makes it, that's but what I makes feel, it awesome. I feel, but, I was, but I was uncomfortable in my own skin. Yeah. That's the problem was I was uncomfortable with myself. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say I was, I was um, comfortable with myself today. I'm mm -hmm. still working at, work in progress. Mm -hmm. God knows if I'll ever get there, but. I wake up as a student every day. There's always something to learn. And I'm always open to hearing people's opinions. And, you know, unless it gets too aggressive, then I have to close it down. But uh, trying, trying to catch the lightning in a bottle is the ultimate goal in a studio. Yep. You get the best version of a piece evolving. And there's a natural moment when you step off. You find the wabi-sabi of that moment mm -hmm. and you just know when to walk away and that's you work intuitively uh, there's no there's no standard that you're held accountable to other than your own instincts and at the end of the day most of the work that I've done over the last several decades I listen to and I go ah, could have done this ah, could have done that mm -hmm if I do hear it at all, but usually my response is, let's go do something else. Yeah. Go make something else, mm -hmm. uh, create something else, start a new piece, you know? And again, with all respect, they sound incredibly pretentious and, you know, self-aggrandizing, but I really don't care about the opinions of others in the creative process. This is, who we are, this is mm -hmm. who I am, this is how it comes out, and we appreciate, deeply appreciate people who love our music, and it's communion. When we, when we come together, we're more like the Grateful Dead in that way than anybody else, I would think. Mm -hmm. It's community, it's communion. Yes. Our, our doors are open to everybody. I mean, I you even see it the way you interact. You, you'll break a tambourine and then you share the pieces with, with, with the fans. And it, it, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. It's not like, all right, you know, <laughs> you, you appreciate occasionally. everyone. Occasionally, sometimes it, I shatter a tambourine by accident or by design. And um, I don't really intend to break a tambourine. It's just 
throw it in the bricks anyway. And yeah. like, okay, fine. But uh, sometimes the pieces are too sharp to hand out, so I don't hand them out. Yeah. We live in a litigious society. That's the last thing you need to do is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We've been on the other end of that, too. And, yeah. um, you know, and also respect, and I respect that as well. So, um, but tambourine playing is its own. It's just, I, I mean, I don't know. I picked up a tambourine in, in Southern Death Cult, and I never put it down, and you take it to another level, brother. Let me tell you, because you're when Thank yeah, you. you're literally like, <laughs> it's like he could really play. And when do you really say that? Wow, he could play a mean tambourine, but you're there, and it's just an know. extension of you. You know, it's uh, yeah. I know. I, I thought even when I was with the Doors, where he says you can play tambourine, I'm like, no. And he goes, you should. I'm like, really? And he says, yeah, it's percussive. It's really great. I said, you know, Morrison used to play um, maracas and mm. use them occasionally, and and I occasionally use maracas and you know, shakers, and mm. it, just, it just creates another texture and rhythmic texture, which enhances the sound. And, yeah. And something I enjoy doing because I'm almost I'm participating in the musicians. I become a musician at that point, yeah. a percussionist. Mm-hmm. So you are. Yeah. There's a time when I used to play. There's a time when I used to play guitar. Actually, and really, I used to play about maybe two songs mm-hmm. and um, a couple of chords and some notes or whatever. But I've been playing guitar since I was in my late teens and actually contributed music to the cult, which we don't really talk about. But mm-hmm. um, you know, chord structures or melodies or whatever. But I like going on the piano as well and occasionally picking out melodies and stuff. But uh, is that how you flesh out a lot of ideas as 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 they're as they're striking you? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes melodic ideas come before anything else. Lyrical ideas are there, and melodic ideas, and but everyone has a different process. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know people do everything in the box. Pro Tools, they don't yeah. play a single instrument. They may use a keyboard for triggering, sampling, and stuff. But mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, they don't even touch an instrument. Whereas I do like having a guitar in my hands. There's something about chords and or going to a piano and being able to interact with that immediately. And now, do you capture it? Do you like, let's say, grab yeah. your, your your phone, or are you, you know, oh. what what are you using okay. to capture that? Right uh, on my phone. You're right that's on your phone. Technology. That's where technology is a good thing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it works. But again, we've got to find the balance. Yeah. So that the I was reading today about Bitcoin mining in uh, the upper. Up in New York State, where they're taking over power stations, and yes, yeah, pump, pumping pumping warm water back into the river, and it affecting the fish and the ecosystem for Bitcoin mining. Yeah, like, what? Really? It's That's insane. Happening? Yeah, yeah. It's wild. There's so much stuff going on, and you got to keep up with it all. And then you're, but at the end of the day, I understand. Somebody goes to gas pump. They got to put bread on the table. They're going to vote with their. They're going to vote based upon what's right for their family. Mm-hmm. So it's it's vastly complex. Everyone's different, and you have to appreciate that and work within that. But at the end of the day, what do I do is I do what I do, and hopefully it contributes in some way to enhancing or giving somebody some solace or it hopefully there's some there's a service aspect to what we do that is uplifting or inspiring or or you know I mean. A lot of folks can take us or leave us or don't even know exist. I, I always get asked. Somebody said to me the other day, said, 
do you remind me of someone? I said, yeah, I am someone. <laughs> and he said, who are you? And I said, well, you're someone too. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're all someone. Yeah. In some way. And, and you, you guys are truly, truly loved. You are, we, you know, I, uh, prior to this interview, I wanted to reach out to the real fans. So there's, you know, the cult family on, on Facebook. Uh, and I oh, reached wow. out, I wanted to ask, you know, is there anything in particular that you want me to ask Ian directly? I didn't want to be self-indulgent. Listen, I have a million yeah, cool. questions to ask you. <laughs> and I really, yeah. I wanted to reach out to them. And let me tell you, far reaching South, Central America, I mean, everywhere, it wasn't just America. It just it was far reaching yeah. and uh, you're loved, you know, um, and um, yeah, if you don't mind me asking, I know that you're I, I, I know you got a show tonight, you know, uh, so I really right. don't want to take that much. I, I could talk. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> just listen That's to me. you. But yeah, I had, I had people uh, from Peru. I mean, there's a lot of people dying yeah. to, uh, you know, to see you. Um, so one of the main questions, I mean, I'll, I'll mention some of them by names, uh, but they want to know if yeah. you're going to extend this tour far beyond. I know that you added some dates in uh, Mexico and Canada. Are you planning on going uh, beyond that footprint. I know that there are challenges now with the, you know, with the ongoing pandemic. I'm sure there's a ton of restrictions. Um, do you have, <laughs> I'm sure that's making life interesting for you, correct? Where it's travel. Must it be. is. Mm. It is. We've got to be very, you know, we, we're, we're, we're mindful of that. Mm. And um, certainly mindful of our environment and everyone's safety and, I think we're in a point now where we're living with this, we're living with COVID mm. and, you know, just be mindful. I mean, LA is in a surge right now. Yeah. Um, you know, certain areas are in a surge, but, uh, yeah, we plan on extending. We'll keep rolling as long as we can. And we're certainly going to get to, uh, South America. I'd love to get to Central America. I'd love to play Costa Rica. I love Costa Rica. Oh, I love Costa, Costa Rica. Rica. And you have Costa rabid Rica's fans out there. For me, I, you know, I see all this concert footage of, you know, shows going on in South and Central America. And they're not like, you yeah. know, they're not holding up their iPhones. <laughs> they are literally, oh, no. you know, they are in it. They're there with you. They're there to celebrate the music, you know. Yeah. But again, this, you know, uh, something about the continent of Central South America, North America, the indigenous uh, culture that runs it, it, it's an incredibly untapped precious resource yeah it is you know in LA in LA we've, in the west coast you've got Apple JPL I mean come on mm -hmm. all of it right and then you've also got all the esoteria of the west coast and then you've got the synergy between the east and the west with you know the Zen Buddhists for example where would we be without Alan Watts and Alan Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac and mm. the Beats and, and the Hey Ashbury and blah, 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 you know, and Timothy Leary and Joan Didion and just so many brilliant minds um, that came from the West Coast, synergy between the East and the West. But then you look at the indigenous uh, 
bloodline, the indigenous uh, information that runs through the Americas, that's an incredible resource. Yeah. Reactivating, reactivating some of these spiritual centers like Tihuacan outside mm. of Mexico City. I'd say reactivate these temples, yes. reactivate these, these let's, re, let's turn all these power stations back on. Mm-hmm. You know, the plains of, the great plains of the Dakotas, you know, I mean, I don't know how many Americans have ever been to Pine Ridge Reservation, stood at the grave at Wounded Knee. I haven't had the I opportunity. I would love to. As an American, I think it's almost a birthright, something yep. that every American should experience. I, I start this tour by going to 38th in Chicago in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. It was, I was very conscious of my intention going there, but I just felt drawn and compelled to witness. It called you. It called me and I went and I felt a great sense of sadness and um, frustration and anger and an incredible empathy for George Floyd, for his family, mm-hmm. for people of that community and the extended community and the constant persecution it just really hit me. And that wasn't, it was authentic. Yeah. And, um, really spoke to the moment of Under the Midnight Sun because that was written during the riots in Los Angeles where we live in East Hollywood mm-hmm. and literally gunshots every night, burning police cars, helicopters, uh, you know, uh, skyrocket and vandalism and, and crime and mm-hmm. civil unrest. I mean, the record was written why police cars were burning. The yeah. record was written, why bullets were flying. The record was written, why COVID was raging. It was, it was written under the midnight sun in this anomalous moment. And it has all of that in it. So, and I felt that viscerally, you know. So it, yeah. it really is in the moment. Because I was going to ask you that, was this written yeah. during this time where we were living in isolation? Um, yeah, and we were isolated in some ways. You know, we weren't able to act to come together like we were pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I was around some people occasionally, and it was just we're all clinging to a raft of what we knew, mm-hmm. and what we there was definitely a we had to shift in our perceptions. I mean, there was definitely an existential. We lost friends. There was. There were multiple suicides around us. People just couldn't even deal with it. Yeah. Um, relationship breakups and, you know, of course, people getting sick and dying as well. I mean, we lost so many, so we lost so many good people and um, close to us. And uh, we felt that, you know, so all that emotional well, those emotions went into this record and those experiences. So it's authentic in that sense. All I can say is that Under the Midnight Sun is an authentic body of work that came out of that moment. And um, But let's not be too glum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a solid, I, I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist. And um, when you go to Tibet, you see how they, what they've been through, 1.2 
million Tibetans killed since 1958. Uh, 158 monks have self-immoliated, I believe, since 2007, yeah. set themselves on fire mm-hmm. in protest. Um, and you see the people there, and you see that their eyes are clear, the smiles are bright and wide, their hearts are open, and they say, welcome home. And that definitely, I hold that in my heart sincerely, and let's, let's do this. We have to hang on to hope. We, we really do. We all have to come together yeah, yeah. as one. Um, so we yeah, it's it. really interesting. Uh, again, I've only, the only, uh, I, I only had, was privy to just one single, give, give me mercy. And I was just really curious as to, yes, does this carry on mm. throughout? Is this the theme, uh, for the rest of the album? I, I know I'm There's patiently waiting themes. until October, <laughs> you know, uh, many themes on the record is they do, you know, again, it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a mandala. It's a, there's many aspects and mm. different frequencies, but it wasn't made to be an obtuse, um, you know, tome of, of hyper-intelligence. And no, it wasn't made like that. Mm. It's, it, you know, it was made with love and care and tears and laughter and frustration and existential angst and anxiety. And I mean, it was made with everything. Yeah. Um, went into this record and the, with the pandemic, it meant that songs got to be fully realized. And also, in essence, we realized that we weren't under the obligation to make a 10 or a 12 track album mm-hmm. for the label. You know, we thought that eight songs said everything we needed to say. That took a really, that took a lot of, of cajoling and convincing and, I pushed for a for an because I wanted it to be able to be, you know, I don't know if people got time to sit through ten or twelve songs or fifteen songs. Well, I'm one of those guys it. where I love to listen to the full story from start to finish. I don't like to, you know, we live in a society where, you know, you, you brought up Spotify before, where people just pick at one song at a time. I love to hear what the artist, what the yeah. band has to say. Uh, and I miss those days where it was like, all right, there's a full story here on this album. So I could digest mm. that. I don't expect everyone to. Do you think that there will be any bonus tracks released later on? Because you guys oh, have always blessed us there. with. <laughs> I believe there'll be a second wave at some point. Okay, that'll happen a lot. It'll happen a lot sooner than this way, mm-hmm. you know, than between Hidden City and Under the Midnight Sun. It won't be a five, six year. It probably would have been done a lot sooner, but then it might have been a completely different record yeah. without the pandemic. And in many ways, even though it sounds macabre, I'm grateful for the time to, for the reset because I feel I ne- need that. It, it, as, as challenging as it was, and it still is, I actually have long-term COVID. I actually, I actually have long COVID. I've got wow. some symptoms of mm-hmm. I had COVID in November last year and definitely have got symptoms of um, of long-term COVID that I've noticed in my body since that I work with every day and you know I'm yeah. no better than I'm no less than mm-hmm. I, just, I just wrap it up pack it up Tylenol it yep. ice pack it you know just deal with it 
I have tinnitus. Oh, you do. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I also have tinnitus as well. So, yeah. <laughs> and I did notice that uh, COVID did make it worse. You know, because exactly. Been, yeah. So, I'm not alone in, in that. <laughs> I've been, and also that brain fog you get, that brain fog yeah. where you you're talking and then you're drifting and all of a sudden you're mm-hmm. like, what was I saying? Yeah. And the you know, the cognitive cognitive dissonance. And I know it's, that's what animals are experiencing. That's what the insects are experiencing. That's what we're all experiencing. Every, I'm not, we're not unique in that way. I know many people I've spoken to have go, yeah, I'm feeling this cognitive dissonance and kind of slightly feel different mm-hmm. in my body. I can't quite put my finger on it, inflammation or something in that. So, you know, post-nasal drip and mm-hmm. inflammation and, increase in tinnitus and joint pain and mm-hmm. some of that's getting older, but yeah. also I may mean, I crack my knee on this third show and I've been trying to get my knee back. So, uh, I just pretty much go on every night with a certain amount. And you're in tip top shape. Uh, I've had, there were some fans that were actually asking, what are you doing these days? What's your secret? Well, uh, yeah. To, my secret? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, there was no secret. I mean, I actually had surgery in 2009. I blew my hip out really badly, and that's through motorcycle accidents. I was run over twice as a kid. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of wear and tear and trauma on my physical body. And you can imagine being on rake stages and concrete stages yeah. and jumping off PA stacks and all the the, the you know the hysteria yeah. <laughs> of my of, of my more useful performances and. And you weren't wearing sneakers at the time. I'm sure you were wearing boots, and uh, that's a hard landing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually went through a period where I was wearing, I'm a bit of, you know, again, contrarian. You know, I do have a love of certain material things, which I gift and try to minimize. I'm very selective about what I buy, but I've been wearing Nike since the 70s. And mm-hmm. even though that, you know, it's contradictory, Nike Nike is attempting to, to get to carbon zero and they're attempting that. They're, they're With all respect, they're attempting it. Coca-Cola isn't. These guys are, and I respect that. And I wear Nikes, you know, a lot of shows, but they are, they're uh, with all the recyclables in them. So um, I kind of consciously stop wearing jeans. I'm tired of the, the uniform, the leather jacket and the skinny jeans. It's mm-hmm. pretty exhausted. Everybody in their, everybody in their dog is wearing a leather jacket mm-hmm. and sunglasses and jeans. And when I blew my hip out, I put on weight. I put on a lot of weight and I found it very difficult. I was incredibly depressed and I found it very difficult to shift the weight and um, got myself into a very strange space. But out of that space came a choice of weapon and hidden city. And so I went more inward and my physical appearance became less important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a parallel between that, what Morrison went through as well when he was in his late 20s, where he was being so objectified. It was always about the way he looked, about what he was saying. And I felt sort of kinship with that, but I didn't do it intentionally. It just happened to me. And then during the pandemic, I realized that I wanted to get back to my physical best. So I really made efforts to be conscious of of, of uh, nutrition and uh, practice, spiritual practice and um, getting more harmonized 
and it took the pandemic to really get me into that because I thought there's two ways of going here. The one way is to is to completely just capitulate and just go into a, a, a spiral of depression, or to really start working and try and uh, you know fight. So like you, you mentioned spiritual practice, if you don't mind me asking, was yeah. it just the form of meditation? Was there some sort just of consciousness, shim- living consciously, mm-hmm. living consciously. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not, there's no weird woo woo. Of course not. You know, yeah. it's, just, it's just, it's just living consciously. Yeah. You live consciously, you eat consciously, mm-hmm. conscious of others around you. And that meditation is a component. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I was a secular Buddhist or anything like that. I mean, I definitely pull from many different, uh, sources. So, but so that, whatever you know. But and, and again, a lot of it's coming in English. Mm-hmm. But a lot of stuff I'm getting viscerally from languages I don't even understand. Mm-hmm. Very little, like Japanese, for example. The you know whether it's from Bushido or Zen Buddhism, or I mean, I have a great admiration for Japanese philosophy and the way that they conduct their lives and their their spiritual practices and their harmonic not to say the Japanese are not without their fault as we all are we're all fallible we're all human and there's deviance in all cultures yeah but I tend to look towards what is actually speaking in this moment to me and it could be Pema Chodron who I admire greatly um you know, it could be someone like um, Zenju Earthling Manuel, who wrote the book The Shamanic Bones of Zen, mm. who's phenomenal. And I uh, find her to be incredibly insightful and a great voice for this, for this moment. Or even, you know, listening to Ukrainian youth talk about what their experience is. Mm. And um, I'm always looking around, picking things up. Um, I love people and I love community and how can you not? Yeah. I mean, my God. I love that you remain so open to everything. You're not rigid. And again, I think that's the secret to your success uh, is that, yeah, you're not rigid and embracing of the goodness of people and yeah. But there's also pain in that as well. There's there's an existential pain of I mean, when you when you go to occasionally, if you go to a zoo or you see an animal, wild animal in captivity, you look in its eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. You get the whole story. I get it. You get it. Yeah. You get the story. You get the whole story, and yeah. you go, okay. Where do you want me to start digging? Yeah. Pick up a shovel. Start digging. I'm angry. Yes. Pick yeah. up a shovel. Use that energy. Start digging. Come up with creative solutions. Mm-hmm. Whatever you got, or not, it's not an obligation. You don't. If you want to be a passenger, that's fine too. And that you know, but as an individual, I've made a choice to do what I do. And in my in my own niche, I I don't think I'm qualified to be a politician or anything like that. I don't feel qualified to. My opinions are very much, you know, the management reserves the right to change its opinion anytime it goddamn well pleases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like, 
something might come down the street. Somebody goes like, you know what? You're full of you're full of it. You're full of yourself. And I would say, when I was a kid, I used to get into a fight, but now I'm more like to say, that's really interesting. Can you explain to me what you're what you're really saying? Can I can you break it down for me so maybe I can look at this if if it's authentic? And thank you for that piece of information because that's really valuable and. Um, it goes back into the work. It goes back into the music. And I hope that what we do is is authentic. You know, I feel it's authentic. It is. You got my vote. You know, even even with all its it's even with all the the errors and the errors of character and flaws of character and those flaws are authentic flaws. They're not excuses. They're just there and work on them daily and minute to minute moment to moment you know my my concern today is that i'm rested enough so that when i walk on the stage tonight and tomorrow in new york i'm fully present and the best i can possibly be because the people that come through that door i'm grateful that they come i'm grateful that we can have that communion and people spend a bloody hard-earned money yeah come to a show and it's not cheap to go to a show now it's so expensive <laughs> no it's not and overhead. yeah and and yeah and by the way you don't have to pay the ticket surcharges yeah you just go directly to the box office just come the day of show don't yeah. pay the surcharges keep it keep it in your pocket mm-hmm. i mean with all respect a lot of promoters have already got enough mm-hmm. out of you for the parking concessions and the 15 dollar beers and all that we mm-hmm. don't control any of that yeah we try to imply, you know, we're, we're not thrilled with it, but this is work in progress and we try and do our best. And, and we do do a lot of altruistic things off, you know, campus to counter any, not, not intentionally to count, it's just or, or authentically, or we just don't go on about it. We're not playing subway stations in Kiev mm-hmm. for photo op. We do other things to go about it in a different way. Yeah, it's got it's very challenging these days to pack a house because with the state of the economy and where we're at right now, that little extra, you know, the, the extra few dollars that you're, that yeah, you're spending absolutely. at the gas pump, <laughs> that was the money yeah. that you could have used to, you know, catch a show, you know, exactly. buy that new record. Uh, it's not lost enough. We try and keep our ticket prices um, as, as low as we can for our overheads because it costs a fortune to put a band on the road right now. Mm-hmm. And that's not an excuse. It's just a reality. And um, well, it must cost a fortune just to travel, you know, just yeah. by bus, you know, we get with gas prices. Right. Yeah, everything has gone up considerably. We could do it with a laptop, but it wouldn't be. People would come and be like, oh, where's, yeah. where's the rest of it? And be, well, we're. We're lowering our carbon footprint. <laughs> yeah. And I, intend, I I fully intend at some point to go and do something, even on my own, mm-hmm. with a laptop. And maybe another friend, and that'll be it. Mm-hmm. Two of us will travel together, and we'll just take a laptop with it, and I'll be in the box. Mm-hmm. And we can do that, too. And I intend to do that down the road to balance things out, and because I want to. So, um, you know, I'm already talking to friends about other projects. And, you know, the cult is... A part of my life, but it's mm-hmm. not all of my life. It's oh no, and I get that. Life. With all with 
your your body of work, I'm telling you, was always like a pleasant surprise. I'm a huge fan of Uncle. And uh, yeah, just just hearing your voice. Stay, <laughs> beep, tuned, stay beep, tuned for Uncle. Beep. Oh, James really? Lavelle. Oh, yes. James Lavelle is back in, that, back in the room and hungry and who knows? I hope you're part of it. Time. I hope. I'd love, I would love to be a part of it. War Stories is... Bull Stories is one of the best records made in the 21st century, yeah. and it was vastly overlooked. It's kind of like Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to take about 20 years before people go like, oh, yeah, that was a good record, because all the critics at the time were all, oh, it's a rock record. It's it's lowbrow. It's, you know, yeah. the, the, sit down. Yeah, it's one of those things where, yeah, uh, I, I feel that certain people, because I, uh, on my show, I spin a lot of uncle and I'll get calls and I say, who was that? And it's like, yeah, do you realize how old that <laughs> that actually is? It stems yeah. from like the, uh, the, the early 2000s and they're like, oh, it sounds so, yeah, so, fr- so it's, it sounds so now, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, my so. shadow was written in 2007 and Burn My Shadow came from a riff that I'd created and uh, a breakbeat that um, James Lavelle and Rich File put together and you know Chris Goss is on that and that was a really interesting recording session but we put that together as a team and everybody had their, their fingers on that track or, or the song um, When Things Explode was written by a guy called Adam Weissman who's behind a brand called Real Bad Man and a uh, musician and uh, makes has an apparel line called Real Bad Man, and we've been doing some work together again, and maybe we'll present that to James. We'll see. I mean, there's so many different things I'd love to be involved. I'd love to, uh, I would love to at least at one point in my life uh, do some acting, but not in a, that was one of there. the questions that did come up. Oh, yeah. I'd um, love to. I mean, not in a Jared Leto kind of way, with all respect mm-hmm. to Jared. I mean, not in that kind of lead way, mm-hmm. you know, not, but more like just to participate and be a part of a, uh, especially a, a period piece, a costume piece, mm-hmm. like Kubrick, uh, you know, like like um, uh, Barry Lyndon or something, mm-hmm. where you get to dress in a certain period. <laughs> that's, that's just an aesthetic uh desire so like the movie that you're working on right now do you see yourself uh, again we didn't really fully discuss what the whole concept of it but is it something that you could put yourself in um is there space um, for that more of i feel that i don't feel that i would be appropriate in it okay the way i've written it and my way i'm viewing it but um it's more it's more of a car crash between Jodorowsky, Tarkovsky, Kubrick, and uh, and Greek mythology, and you know archetypal indigenous mm. hallucinatory. Uh, I mean, it 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 it's quite layered. And does it rock? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. That's a big question. Yeah. yeah, but does it rock? Yeah, dude, but does it rock? Yeah, <laughs> of course it rocks. <laughs> And when do you Don't think this will be about that? When do you think this this could be released? I'm hoping that we get to realize to shoot scenes uh, and you know to actualize the short film this year. And I'm hoping we get to release something early next year. And 
most of the talent, I mean, unbeknownst to many people, when we did, um, for example, the song Goat, mm-hmm. which was kind of written about, Billy had this riff and we're in the studio and um, Bob Rock like goes, that's a great riff. What do you think? And I'm like, really? Do you, you want to jump? You want me to jump on this? And I was watching a fight with US, with Conor McGregor and I was just straight on it. Uh, you know, Goat, it was just, it was almost a testament to an individual who is so willful hmm. and so singular-minded and incredibly driven and I just threw it down and then we create the video clip um, and the crew that worked those shot in, in Imperial City in Miami I directed it uh, by proxy and what I mean by that is was through uh, Juan Azule who's our very close friend incredibly gifted visionary and his wife Flavia Lowenstein and I kind of gave them the directive of, okay, here's what I'm looking for. I want to find this kind of fighter and I want it to look dark in this kind of way. And they put a crew together in Imperial City, Miami, and they shot the clip. They sent me, you know, the rough cuts and everything. And I, we went through it all. I said, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. And because we had, uh, uh, you know, people assume that got loads of money. We did it for nothing. Mm. A lot of what the cult does is we spend every penny on every penny on that was spent on that video clip, mm. which was very a very modest amount of money for a video clip yeah. was was put on the screen. Mm. I mean, literally, a lot of things were held together with tape and pins and whatever. But um, so the crew that made that clip for Goat went on to make Midnight. Uh, uh, what was it called? Sorry, the uh, one of the Academy Award. Um, I forgot the name of the film. It'll come to me. Okay. What was it called? I think it might have been called Midnight. Um, but it did win an Academy Award. Uh, actually, I should Google that. How long ago? It would have been, let's see. Um, let's see. It would have been about, well, that came out in 2016. Uh, so... No, it's not that. What's it called? But the crew that made the film went on to make an Academy Award-winning film. Mm-hmm. But like one degree of separation from that world. Was it Moonlight, maybe? Moonlight? Moonlight. I love... I love people that cite... Yeah, it was Moonlight. Moonlight. Yeah, Moonlight. Uh, it was... Uh, um, a look at three defining chapters in the life of, of Kieran, a young black man growing up in Miami. His epic journey to manhood is guided by the kindness, support, and love of the community that helps raise him. Uh, 2016, September 2nd, 2016. So we shot the video clip for that. The budget was $1.5 million. won an Academy Award for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, the crew that made Goat went on to make that. Unbelievable. So... We're one degree of separation from, you know, yeah. gathering of the tribes happened a full year before Lollapalooza, mm-hmm. et cetera. Never be the first mouse. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get the cheese. It is first mouse gets, so... First mouse gets the cat. Yeah. The first mouse gets the cat, the second mouse gets the cheese. Yeah. 
No. So if, if you're Machiavellian in any way, always make sure you're the second mouse. But I, I can't. I just don't. The I'm older like, I get, I've realized that it does not pay to be the first. I mean, we've seen it with hip hop. You know, everyone, you know, oh, we yeah. have billionaires now. There are people in the hip hop industry right now that are legitimate billionaires. And then you look back, go go way, way back to when it all started. These people are still living in the same projects that they <laughs> that they were. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's just it's just unbelievable. You know, so, yeah, it's, never it's, be the first. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, but there's some pioneers that go out there who are definitely pioneers and they just mm-hmm. maintain it. I mean, but it, there's a cost yeah. for a lot. It's never, there's never a free meal. Yeah. I just feel that there are so many people that are owed so much more. You know, we were, there are certain, you know, like you guys have gone on to inspire so many other groups. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's, it's just... It, it's just it's just really amazing how some people running out of the gate. It's like, are you kidding me? How are they multi-platinum when, they, you know what I mean? They don't have a rich history behind them, you know? We started off an independent company and we kind of got stuck in. The, the weird thing with the cult was the cult was always bigger than its environment in many ways because we signed initially Southern Death Cult signed to Beggar's Banquet. Mm-hmm. Subsidiary situation too in 1982. So that original contract was the foundation for Death Cult and the Cult. Because mm-hmm. I, when I went to Billy, I already had the contract with Beggar's Banquet and the relationship and the publishing. Oh, so you so, already had that in place before you approached Billy. Oh, it was Billy. all in place okay. from Southern Death Cult. Mm-hmm. Southern Death Cult was the foundation yep. and stone, cornerstone of all of it. That's where the name The Cult comes from. It's a shortening of Southern yep. Death Cult. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much came to Billy with a fully formed foundational... It was just add Billy Duffy and it will be activated. And that's what happened. So from that perspective, you know, we were with, but then we were tied into this independent based UK company, which now is obviously XL records and mm-hmm. Radiohead and Fidel and da, 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 da. they own rough trade. They own young Turks. They yeah. own, they own so many just subsidiaries and, you know, Matador and it's well documented. Huge. But we were one of the, we were one of the seedlings of that entire thing. I used to hang out. I spent more time in the 4AD office with Vaughn Oliver and Ivo Watts Russell and those guys than I spent with beggars. I was, I was always hanging out, stealing Exmo Deutschland and Bauhaus and birthday party records, you know, um, <laughs> talk to twins. I was going to yeah. those shows. Uh-huh. I was going to see those bands, going to see the 4AD bands because it wasn't a rock label. Yeah. It was an independent label. Yes. I mean, and uh, out of Beggar's Banquet, you know, uh, we were licensed around the world to major labels, which really helped Beggar's grow as a group, as, a, as the Beggar's group, mm-hmm. because a band like the Cult had international success, commercial success at least. You know, the critical acclaim is, was very rarely we were critically acclaimed because people couldn't get past the way I looked. They thought, oh, yeah, if it looks like that, it's obviously not. But trust when I tell you there were people that were drawn to this look. That, that, that was the whole thing. It was, it, you know, especially during the whole MTV era, you know, very yeah. visual. There were people like, wow, what's, what's going on here? This is, uh, it was. Yeah, yeah. Most visual, yeah, absolutely visual first. And then you get a bit older and then everyone goes off to whatever's young and attractive. And that's that. That's human nature. 
Because I remember yeah, you I mean, had a certain look, uh, I, you know, uh, for the Love album. So that was my first introduction. Yeah. And then I worked in reverse because, again, being here I in the U.S. Uh, yeah. But it was amazing how you shifted gears, you know, with electric. Um, and it was like, wait a minute. They, they went from one look, one, uh, you know, like because uh, you, you had this... Um, like this goth type of thing going on. You really couldn't label it, um, but you had like a certain look, the certain sound, and then it became something else, you know, for, for electric. Sort of, yeah, now we're back to kind of, you know, Rem LZ coined a phrase, gothic futurism, which I really like that term, gothic futurism, because gothic to me kind of represents the feminine shadow nature, mm -hmm. dark romanticism and, and I really like that space. And um, the idea of futurism is, is the potential for the synergy between technology and nature and science and the intersection of human evolution and animal sentient evolution. And so I really like what that implies um, as a term. You know, we don't want to label things, but there you go. It's, it's a really beautiful term. And that came from Ram Z, who was a, a well-known artist contemporary John Michel Basquiat, Futura, mm -hmm. Keith Haring, yep. et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, very accomplished, incredible artist and worthy of his own retrospective at the Met or the Guggenheim yes. or wherever Museum of Modern Art. Um, I saw a documentary not that long ago. There's just so much. You could just go down this whole rabbit hole. It was on YouTube. Um, it's, yeah, it yeah, yeah. There's a, lot of great, there's a lot of good stuff on, yeah. on the Ram Z and uh, he's been, you know, Obviously, celebrating lauded with a with um, Supreme, a clothing label, um, have occasionally dropped collections with Ramalzi involved, and mm -hmm. I definitely encourage anybody to explore the world of Ramalzi and Ash Snow. Yeah, um, you know, one of the last true authentic uh, youth cultural movements moments in New York City, and um, and they all seem to come around. But uh, there's so many layers out there, and I mean, I was around that. I was around. I was around. We first went to New York in '84, so we're playing Danceteria, running the streets. You know, Danceteria. I was wow. uh, Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't aware of this, but it was an interesting fact I heard the other day that Adam Mann actually uh, was brought in by Prince to create his wardrobe. Really? You was like, what? Yeah, and I, you look I'm, at it, you go like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it sort of I makes see sense. It. I can see it. It does make period, you're like, mm, that's interesting. Yeah, you could see the the influence because you know Stuart Goddard had a man was he's uh, definitely an incredible dresser, mm -hmm. and but he what he was picking up on was the new romantic yes. uh, thing that was happening in in the UK at the time, and, and that's what I thought you guys were sort of reinterpreting in a way with a harder edge. That's what I thought you you know again just Brian Jones was the gateway. Brian yeah. Jones was the gateway, and Brian Jones was the gateway for David Bowie, too. Yeah. That look of the long-haired young man, it was Brian Jones. Yeah. Oh, Brian yeah. Jones was the god star in the conversation, and his trips to Marrakesh, mm -hmm. and what he brought to the Stones, and his love of the blues. It was Brian Jones that named the band. Yeah, he... Brian Jones it was the blues aficionado. He was the one that was into the American blues artists. Mm -hmm. He was the one that really galvanized these guys. He was playing with Alexis Corner before Mick and Keith, and 
he was the, you know, he was the lightning rod that entire, and the look, and, you know, his emotional intelligence, um, his style, and then you put people around him in that period like Hendrix and the way they dressed, the way they flowed, you know, and all the, all the romanticism, all the revisiting of all the, the, uh, you know, the romantics, the French symbolists, uh, the Raphaelites from 1900, you know, late 1800s, 1900s, uh, Cinder Paris, all of it was galvanized in San Francisco, London, New York, Paris, Milan, Cairo, Bangkok, Mumbai, you know, yeah. Tokyo, it was global. It was global and the Beatles obviously took it to another level and oh yes. George Harrison, Lennon, you know, I mean that documentary you come out that just came out, Pete Jackson's documentary when yes. you see McCartney, mm. he was savage. My God, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea he was that savage in the studio. And, you know, I come from that area and um, just seeing them work together. They were operating on cigarettes and tea. Yeah. <laughs> and they were knocking out those songs. Yeah. <laughs> Are, you Are you kidding me? It was a special time in uh, in history there. What? For sure. you know. Yeah, but that's not so. Not, there's not amazing things happening right now. Dope stuff happening in the world of music right now. You know, you I was going yeah. to ask you about that. I mean, a lot has changed where before you would put the artist in a studio and you would hash things out. Uh, it just seems like everyone's just operating from a laptop now. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it, Not it, everybody, um, many. Uh, yeah, yeah. Many I, are. Many are. Yeah. Um, I, I'm saying the ones that are really getting recognized, it's like, why are they getting so much shine when there are other tr truly talented people out there that aren't really, uh, you know, getting any type of exposure? Um, well, that's very simple because they have a marketing team behind them, 30 writers, yeah. and they're manufactured. That's... That's the cultural bandwidth we live in. Yeah. Look at a lot of contemporary pop. Look at the amount of credits on a contemporary pop record. Some of them, some of them are actually shocking. You look at Billy Eilish because mm -hmm. it's just her and her brother. Yeah. It, it, it really is her and her brother, and that's it. So yeah. she's she's an exception. Yeah. She's an exception. She's mm -hmm. she's exceptional. Yeah. For her youth and her her emotional intelligence, she's exceptional. Oh yeah. No doubt. Big Unicorn. Time. Yeah, but then you look at some other artists, and you go, wow, "That's amazing." There's twelve writers on this. Well, yeah, that's, producers in this that's the crazy thing. I don't want to name names, but it's like, wait a minute, how many writers went into this? And there's not much to it, you know. <laughs> well, there is a lot to it, though. I mean, because the yeah. parts they're actually writing are really good hooks, or yeah. right, real, and that. There's no rules anymore. I mean, that's fine if 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 I could work with thirty writers mm. and come up with some results that I've heard. I would, yeah. but I don't tend to play well with others. I'm very particular, and and I don't have any career aspirations in that sense. Mm -hmm. To be, you know, that quote that Roger Waters made about Drake and yes. uh, The Weeknd the other day, mm -hmm. is like, with all respect, you don't need to say that. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it was gauche to share that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have... I have I admire Roger Waters greatly, but I also have admiration for Drake and 
and weekend and what they've accomplished, it's it's a different conversation. It's yeah. okay. We can all coexist. Mm-hmm. There's room for everybody. Yes. You know, because some people like some people like music that is, you know, it means something to them, and that's you can't take that away. Yeah. There's nobody better than or less than. But, but then again, he's Roger Waters, and he's going to express himself. And uh, well, he's yeah. a human being. Yeah, he's well. human. Yeah, and he's a human being, and and so is Drake, and so is The Weeknd. And yeah. I was, I was frankly disappointed in that comment. Yeah. But I still doesn't take away my admiration for his work. Mm-hmm. And yes, he is important, but is he? Yeah. Is any are any others? And what does that actually mean? And at the end of the day, again, one of my favorite quotes from my manager, Tom Bitterino, he says this. He says, just, well, that and a quarter will get you a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, it's that. Yeah. Because you're at the supermarket and somebody's like, uh, they don't say excuse me, they just push through. Yeah. You know, and you're just, you're back at it. You're at the gas pump. Uh you're looking at the you're looking at the cost of the gas going in the car. You're like, what? You know. And one of the great things about being on the road is I'm not driving around. Yeah. I'm not burning those fossil fuels. Yeah, we're running a bus, but you know, we're you're not like Bruce Dickinson for, of Iron Maiden, where he's uh, he's piloting flying a seven four seven. Yeah, we're not flying a seven four seven. Yeah, what a what a, what a guy. I yeah, mean, that's crazy. And John Travolta is a pilot. Yeah, and he flies and flies airliners and it's like what these guys got time to learn to fly like yeah and then yeah it's just it's crazy Uh, yeah etc but we can we could we could go on and on and on but needless to say that um without conversation and emotional connection the whole thing is just it's a bust yeah it is it is we have to get back to being humans again you know, well, we know right now we're doing it. Yeah. We'll do it tonight. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll yeah. do it on our shows. It's, it, you know, Hey, what we do isn't for everybody. I appreciate that. It's not, I just know we don't have any, uh, claim over anything. Mm-hmm. We just do what we do and that's us. And hopefully just lead you know, by example, you know, we're having a conversation by, right now. That. That I'm, yeah, that's not the, consci- that's not the yeah. consciousness. That does, that's not what's driving it. It's not some sort of like spiritual, uh, you know, Chogun Trumpa Rinpoche spoke very clearly on this, about spiritual materialism, which is almost like virtue signaling. You know, mm. it's the sense of uh, virtue and being seen to be virtuous or appear to be virtuous. Mm-hmm. If you're acting from an authentic place, you're looking for some kind of recon- you're not looking for recognition you're not looking for and but by the same token you're not underplaying you're not victim you're not in that space you're actually just trying to find the right harmonic frequency where i mean this is a conversation between you and i this is a conversation yeah there's an interview there's an interview element but it's more of a conversation yeah and we probably have the same conversation in the street Exactly. <laughs> we would. <laughs> That's the way I'm seeing this. I'm just like, yeah, this. we're just having a conversation, you know. We're just hanging out, having a conversation, and yep. that's it. And the background is, yes, there's a new album coming out. It's like, yeah, but aren't you trying to sell something here, buddy? Yeah. It's like, well, I'm not trying to sell it. Actually, no, the label 
they want to get their money back for their investment. But <laughs> oh, sure. outside of that, <laughs> outside of that, I don't have any aspirations to get a Bentley or a Lamborghini or you know, get a, a diamond implanted in my forehead. I'm, <laughs> no. Do I like Do I like dope sneakers? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> have a fetish for certain shoes, but I'm very particular and. You know, yeah. There's there's part of the there's the material. I, I'm far. From, you know, it's like people go, yeah, but you're you say you're a Buddhist and you're. It's like, come on, it's just, just labels. It's the person. It's the dude. Just trying to get by and I just make music. I've been making music since I was a child. It's what I do. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You know, in construction. That's dope. I've done construction too. Yeah, I, I somehow can't picture you like you know sitting by you know standing by a Lamborghini or anything like that. It just doesn't fit yeah. you, you know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I appreciate it. It's a beautiful design. I mean, yeah. the engineering's phenomenal. But for me, yeah. it's not. I've never. I don't. I mean, I do. I do feel the design of some of these cars is stunning. I mean, mm-hmm. Porsches are beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I mean, now they're making um, you know hybrids. And yes. Yeah. Full, full electronic versions. So. In terms of ethical, but you know, even the Tesla's got the the batteries. That where does that go? Yeah, where, where does it go when that's done? And the next version comes along. We've all got our fingers. Everybody's got it on them. Yeah, I show me. Yet let thee who is without sin cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I might want to go take a look at that in Texas and Florida. I might want to have a go look at that. Those are separate countries within this country. It's uh, separate countries within those countries. I yeah. mean, you go to Florida, we got Miami. You go to yeah. I mean, when we when we we go in there, we're deep. We play in we play in these places. We go to Texas. I mean, you know, there's almost a there's almost a call for boycott of going to these states. But then you deprive. When I was in Tibet. I spent time with Tibetans. They were saying, thank God you're here because you're seeing what's going on. You're mm-hmm. our benefactors. Please go back and tell the world what we're seeing. Then I sat on a panel with all these, you know, erudite artists who I admired and respected. And I sat on a panel at the Tibetan Freedom Concert in 1998. And I had to force my way onto that bill because they didn't feel the cult was appropriate. Really? It, no, I didn't feel the cult was appropriate because we're a rock band. Mm-hmm. And they shoved us on at one o'clock in the afternoon. Meanwhile, other artists were arriving in limousines with entourages and all the rest of it. We didn't arrive like that. But I was I was hanging out with Tibetans and speaking Tibetan to them, and I'd been to Tibet. And we sat down on the panel. Somebody was asking a question, journalist, young journalist saying, you know, we should boycott Tibet. What are your feelings on this to the panel? And people saying, yeah, we shouldn't be... We should be, you know, we should be uh, boycotting Chinese products and not going to Tibet. And I just tapped the mic and said, can I say something, please? Mm. I said, with all respect, I don't know anybody else on this panel, but I've actually been to Tibet. And the Tibetans are saying, please come, because while you're here, they're not, Yeah, you know, they're not, they're not acting out. But I did, I did see enough. I did see enough. I mean, I saw a guy dragged out of a house in the middle of Lhasa by plainclothes mm-hmm. people's liberation army, and he got dragged off and thrown in the back of a 
police car and it's gone. Wow. And then uh, the crowd dispersed and then they came back again and people just got on with the regular business. I saw an old man being beaten with an AK-47 rifle stock right in front of me. While another soldier had his weapon pointed towards us, threateningly saying, you know, don't, you don't mess with this situation. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay. It must have been challenging to to experience that and not be able to. It was to, emotionally, yeah. yeah, it was dreadful. And it was emotionally very difficult. And it gave me a great amount of uh, anxiety and stress and frustration. I couldn't really physically do anything in that moment because what are you going to do against an AK-47? Yeah. And now no. we're, we're we're living with that here in this country. <laughs> like, we are. We are living with that in this country. And, and you know, uh, with all respect, um, there's, there's definitely mindful individuals out mm-hmm. there who are appropriate and absolutely respect their rights. As I was feeling that, and this might be a bit cheeky, and I'm sure Gug, you know, people might comment, but the Constitution was written in 1787, mm-hmm. not, 17, not 1776. I believe it's 1787, and the Second Amendment is the right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So <laughs> let's go back and actually distribute the weapons from 1787. <laughs> exactly. That's my argument, you know. You can do that, yeah. but I, there's, there's responsible, there are responsible gun owners, and I respect that, um, but ultimately, we've got a big problem. Yeah. Again, it's and striking it's like the balance. King elephant, in King elephant in the room. People are terrified to talk about it. I don't really talk about it because unless it comes up or I bring it up. Yeah. But just looking at the recent conversations and, and recent events, there's something far deeper going on. These are symptoms of a far, and it, again, it's probably uh, our lack of relation to nature. Yes, sir. Yes. It's a huge component in the fracture of our psych, collective psyche is, is our disconnect from nature yeah. and reality. And Under the Midnight Sun speaks to that moment. And even as I'm saying this, I'm getting a certain wave of, yeah, especially being in Washington, D.C. Yeah. I mean, where today, all the, um, the, the first lady from Ukraine, uh, Mrs. Zelensky, is here at the invite of Joe Biden. You know? Mm-hmm. Just very poignant. Very poignant moment. After 9-11, I visited, um, I went to Ground Zero one month after the Twin Towers got hit. Mm-hmm. I went and looked at it. We played Madison Square Garden opening for Aerosmith, and I went down there and looked at that, and uh, it was incredibly shocking and frustrating. And uh, yeah, I was very it, close to it. Be, living in the tri-state area, living in, in Connecticut, yeah. uh, you know, New York was it's it's my backyard. It was my I might live in the woods, but uh, mm. no, it's just a simple train ride away. And I I, gr- I could say. 
I can legitimately say that I grew up in New York City is a very big part of me. Uh, that's mm. why I've embraced, you know, art. All, all of the musical uh, influences that I've ever had in my life all came from the streets of New York. And yet to feel that, I'll never forget that day. That was uh, my immediate reaction was I have to run and help in some way because it, it felt like, all right, our neighbor's house, you know, is on fire. You got to do something. And yeah, that was just an yeah. immediate need. And uh, unfortunately, I couldn't run there immediately because they didn't want civilians just, you know, stepping in. But as soon as I could, no. yeah, I volunteered and did my part. Yeah, of course. You know, um, of course. very but heavy time. Real. And I never felt that the city ever rebounded either after that. Sure, they might have built new buildings and it might have continued to mm. grow, but the soul was truly sucked out of it. At least my, you know, my version of what I grew up with. I felt that things changed. You know, certain neighborhoods were no longer the same neighborhoods because certain people couldn't afford to live in them. So there's no such thing yeah. as starving artists that can make it. <laughs> you, you just no. can't find, you know. And that was the no, beginning of it, you know. Absolutely. The, the gentrification continues, but it's yeah. also that, that seems to be imploding as well. And artists always find a way of, true artists find a way of making it work, whether they've got, as, as Picasso said, you work with the tools around you, you work mm -hmm. with what you've got at hand. And if all you've got is a stick and a bit of dirt, then you do that. Yeah. You know, that's it. At the end of the day, and honestly, if I was left at, if I was in that situation, I'd still be making art with a stick and a piece of dirt. <laughs> I'm sure you would, and, it, and it would come out amazing. And I have. Yeah. I actually have, and I do. I mm -hmm. mean, I just don't, not really part. Everyone wants to talk about music and yeah. the cult's legacy, or today I did an interview, and the first question was about Jim Morrison and Oliver Stone, and I was, okay. Fine, let's talk about that. Oh, I didn't want to go there. And I had plenty of people that that were asking that. But to be quite honest, there's just so much more going on. And yeah, I, wanted, I wanted to respect <laughs> that. No, it's yeah. layers. There's yeah. layers. There's layers. There's many, many layers. I've been around long enough to have my own story. And mm -hmm. I'm beginning, you know, I'm being kind of, people are whispering in my ears like, when are you going to do a book? Yeah. I know this publisher. What about this editor? Yes, right. I'm going like, stop, go away. I don't have time for a book. Talking about, I want to dress up and be in the new Barry London. Yeah. I'd actually like to make more music. I'd like to be, to get my film done. I want to do more with the cult. I mean, there's so many more things to get done and. I want to. I I really want to see that. We need that right now. We need as much music. Uh, you know, again, beautiful music. The, well, the, 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 mute, when the you music. Hear the and, album. I mean, yeah. the album. When you hear the album, all should be revealed. Because, with all respect, "Give Me Mercy" isn't the best song on the record. Really, the lead song. Okay. It's probably it's, okay. pro it's probably a nice entry point for people that are mm -hmm. familiar with the cult, and it's familiar mm -hmm. in many ways because yeah. it has the guitar signature and you know my voice and a certain arrangement is familiar, but when you get deeper into the record, I'm not saying it's as a lot of people said that, you know, Hidden City and uh, and uh, Choice of Weapon were kind of veiled and dense and kind of hard to get through. But when you listen to standalone songs like, uh, you know, um, uh, Birds of Paradise, for example, the sentiment of that song speaks to this moment mm -hmm. as much as Under the Midnight Sun. Mm -hmm which there is a song on this record 
which is the title track, which is like nothing that we've ever made ever. I cannot wait. <laughs> we recorded an orchestra in Prague. Oh, wow. Oh, so this is going to be truly amazing. Um, so you worked with an actual <laughs> orchestra. That's that's no shortcuts there. Orchestra, 36 piece orchestra in Prague. Wow. Yeah, I cannot wait. And I mean, does does Les Pauls jam through, you know? Yeah. An AC30. I mean, all my a lot of my vocals were done on a very simple uh, SM58 microphone. Mm -hmm. Really? A friend of mine sent me one from Supreme, and I just pulled it out of the bag, and they made a Supreme 58. And mm -hmm. I was just sent to me that like kind of a, you know, it's like just send it to me as a gift. It was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's basically out the box microphone. There's nothing special about it. Mm. It's just a stream on it. But I used that, and then eventually got sick of looking at it, so I taped it up, and <laughs> and I used that mic, and then I chucked it and got another beater, and the next thing I know, the producer says, "Well, your vocals are done." I'm like, "Really?" And we did record some of it again on on better mics, but there's a lot of really raw, basic. I dig that. Like I'm talking to you right now, you know, yeah. it's just it's my voice through a real simple mic mm -hmm. without any real filter. I do not like to record with effects on my vocals. Mm -hmm. um, I like to see what the true voice is, even if it's broken or hoarse or as long as it's authentic, you know, I'll work with that. So it's pretty raw. So and, we and, have that. And I have to admit that I uh, honestly, I appreciate when you do acoustic work, uh, uh, again, stripped down. It's just you could really feel the intentionality behind every lyric, the way you're d uh, delivering it. Yeah, it's like I, uh, I'm i a big fan of that. So I end up watching a lot of like YouTube, uh, you know, because, you know, you got uh, I was watching the Jonesies uh, jukebox uh, the other day. It was an older interview and you guys were just, you know, uh -huh. playing guitar. And I was like, you know, look at this. He's just sitting in a studio, simple microphone, no, no big elaborate anything. It's just Jonesy, Billy and you. And it's just listen, this is just really amazing, you know. Uh, that's yeah. what it's about. That's where the rubber hits the road. And it's like, all right, that's true talent right there. You know, you, you, you have a finely tuned instrument, um, you know, with well, your... That's a blessing yeah. and a curse. And it must be know. challenging to keep it, uh, like, are, is there a certain regimen that you go through to maintain? Because unlike, yeah. uh, uh, again, uh, uh, you know, like if you're playing guitar, for example, and your string pops, well, your guitar tech just gives you another guitar. Uh, what do you do to maintain your instrument, I don't your have gift? A tech. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't have a tech. Yeah. I have emotional support units, yeah. but I don't have a tech. Are there any, any exercises that you do to keep it, you know, uh, to, you know, just yeah, to keep it in top form? I'm, I'm not. I definitely terrible discipline mm. in terms of warming up. I mean, sometimes I'll take 20 minutes to warm up and stretch and ice and all that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I've, I'm asleep and I'll wake up 15 minutes for a show and I go, shit, <laughs> I better do, throw this together yeah. and I'll run out there and, and I'll, I'll break my voice and I'll go, Oh yeah, you dummy should have warmed up or whatever, but it depends on the day and where I'm at. Cause yeah. I'm, you know, I'm an emotional being and yeah, susceptible to my environment and but to be honest with you uh it's really about water sleep mm. the basics 
the basics, yeah. you know, basics, you know, good air. Yeah. Well, the basics, decent food. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm particular about what I eat now. I don't, I don't have a stringent diet, but I, I, I know that it affects my voice. I'm try to avoid dairy before three hours before a show because mm-hmm. otherwise I'm spitting. People go like, you're spitting all over the place. It's like, mm-hmm. eh, I'm lactose intolerant. I shouldn't have had that, <laughs> you know, that yogurt or whatever I had. Yeah. You know, or decide to eat a banana for for energy half an hour before a show and I go, oops, should have eaten that three hours ago. Yeah. Um, so at least you're mindful of all of that. So. Yeah, you, you, you know, when you're a kid, you don't care. I mean, I didn't, I was, I'd wake up, I'd go to bed in the same clothes that I was on stage in. I mean, now I pretty much wear the same clothes that I'm on stage in now. I dress more like I dress daily and everyone's like, how come you're into streetwear? Well, I've been into streetwear since the 70s, for God's sakes. Yeah, why not? If you pay attention, I've been doing, I mean, I wore Nikes for decades and, you know, I mean, I love... Uh, you know, I mean, I wear everything from Maharishi to Compagasan to Rick Owens to whatever, or just, I mean, I even got a, got a $12 war, I got a $12 Basquiat cap in Target the other day and threw that on. <laughs> the Jean-Michel Basquiat is licensed to Target, which is incredible. That's insane. I, in the middle of, I, I didn't I even realize that. Ohio, yeah. In the middle of Ohio. Wow. Outside of Dayton, Ohio, about 20 miles outside of Dayton, Ohio, we were doing a gig and I went to the local Target to get some tape for my hands and, and some, like, I think Pellegrino would run out or whatever. It seems like they're licensing local. a lot of Basquiat uh, these days because uh, Uniqlo, yeah. they, they have, like, T-shirts and whatnot. And, uh, oh, yeah. They, but they do it right. I mean, yeah, they goes, they're incredible. They've done some really beautiful, uh, accessible... I think they're very tasteful, obviously Japanese aesthetic mm-hmm. and very smart, yeah. very incredible, smart. But I, I love the fact that they can take Jean-Michel Basquiat or Andy Warhol or Keith Haring to mm-hmm. a new audience who's discovering it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the estate, I know they've been very mindful of how they handle Jean-Michel's work. And, um, you know, some purists could say, well, it's this and that, and he would have approved. Well, we don't know. I mean, the yeah. family... Deciding, but even the Brooklyn Nets, they did a whole season with Basquiat uniforms, and you know the the, the Barclays Arena had Basquiat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the court was painted in Basquiat fonts and colors, and I, I think I, it's a celebration of the art, and and it's, it is. and it's okay, you know. I think and uh, the culture and the art and yeah. his descent and is you know he's born in New York, mm-hmm. Haitian descent. I mean incredible ambassador if we're going to move forward culture is one of the areas that governmental bodies it's not in their conversations it's not in their lexicon they don't talk about culture as a positive you know having cultural some kind of cultural body or a cultural minister or you know, Department of Culture. Mm-hmm. You think with the U.S. influence, I mean, basically the, the, the Eastern Bloc fell because of Western culture, because of blue jeans and Coca-Cola and, and, you know, and Elvis Presley and the Beatles and Marilyn Monroe and Nina Simone and Chuck Berry and all of it and hip-hop. It, the whole 
Soviet bloc fell apart because all the kids were trying to get Levi's and yeah, and you know I've got friends. I mean, we were going to Berlin in the eighties when you had to go to all the Eastern Bloc. Mm-hmm. You had to go past all the Russian soldiers, young Russian soldiers, and they come on the bus and they would steal your Marlboros. Wow! It was on it was on the table. They just take them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'd let you know, like them. They were kids. You let them take them, give them Zippo lighters, and you know, give them some T-shirts or whatever, and maybe give them a pair of blue jeans, and they'd take it. They weren't supposed to, but they did. Yeah. But they wanted it. But they, they were human. The culture and they, yeah. We were all the same age. Yeah. We were kids. They were kids. We were kids. We used to identify as kids, and mm-hmm. you know that that was the way it was. And but ultimately, but then now we're on the flip side of it. And um, look where we are now with the war in Ukraine. It's, yeah. You know, you have one nation that's emerging as a Western, you know, identifies as a, identifies with Western culture, and you have another nation who's trying to resurrect an idea of of a system that never worked in the first place. I, yeah, I, I just don't get it. And what's truly disturbing is that it's no longer a hot topic in the media. It's no longer, it should be out there on the forefront. <laughs> it's just like, all right, it was just like a good couple hot weeks. And uh, mm. it's not really getting the attention that it deserves. Like, all right, what are, what are we going to do here? You know, there's a lot of innocent lives. Well, uh, yeah, it's a news cycle, but that's commercial media for you. The commercial media has to sell its advertising, so they've got to keep it hot. Yeah. And in some ways that forces a certain narrative, but with the amount of violence that's been going on in the United States recently, mm-hmm. that has to be front and center. Yeah. And the, you know, recent Supreme Court. Uh, I mean, that's a whole yeah. other issue right there where it's just, a, you know, so I, I'm, I'm the father issue. of a 10 year old daughter. And exactly. uh, this is the world that I have to raise her in where she no longer has certain rights that I thought <laughs> when she came into the world, she had. Uh, yeah, we're, you know, it's 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 sad, and uh, let's hope that good will come out of this, and that there is this feminine, uh, you know, this this energy What's that just in nature. Yeah, you can't, you cannot repress. Yeah, it's undeniable. Nature finds a way. Yeah. So, in many ways, this is symbolic of the patriarchal control of man over nature. This is where we've gotten to, and this is the, you know, the croaking last breath, mm-hmm. and it's happening. Yeah, it, it's it's happening around us. It's happening whether you like it or you're not. I mean, what's happening is 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 abhorrent right now mm-hmm. for for women's rights and for feminine rights, and people identify as other. Um, that is a that is a civil human right of dignity yeah. and, and autonomy. And if nature teaches anything, it's complex. Yeah. And to embrace the complexity of nature and understand it, I don't know what you do with your time, but it seems like you're, you're, you're a thinker and you're a, an empathetic individual. That's why yes. I'm talking to you for this amount of time. And and to be quite honest, I'm dumbfounded <laughs> and I truly, truly appreciate it because I understand that your time is really valuable. But, yeah, I really I, I'm really, truly enjoying our conversation. Um, so this conversation is valuable yeah. to me as well, because it's also a place where I get to work out. The authenticity of ideas and observations, which I'm really interested in as a creative person, mm-hmm. as somebody identifies as a creative person. 
I don't, the term artist is so thrown around. It's, I don't even know what the value is of it anymore. And the tags, I think a lot of them, have, that's why I'm saying give me mercy, a new language. We're yeah. looking for a new language, new descriptors, new adjectives, um, words that don't polarize, sentiments that don't polarize, safe spaces for communication. Uh, I wish it were different. It all ends the same. Your savage heart has stolen my name. Mm. In a wilderness lost, it's so hard to tame. In the tides of this world, you're a victim of fate. Pre-con, so I mean, this is, yeah, this is... Repeat yeah. refers to the complexities of communication and interaction and what we what we know versus the great mystery. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, man, but... Uh, okay, so please tell me what happens in the stages of death. Mm-hmm. What, ego dissolution, can you break that down for me? Because I know the Tibetan lamas can. I've sat with them. It's profound. Mm. And terrifying and exhilarating. But you're not going to... I mean, Walmart is not going to do it for you. No. And stuffing a face full of chemicals and they can do it for you and those uh, spiritual sustenance is, is important and it's not exclusive and it's not inaccessible and it's non doesn't discriminate in that way it's it's, it's available to everybody it's free meditation's free yeah it is you see it it's it's one of the things you know. I'm a shamanic practitioner. I didn't didn't bring this up. Uh, and again, I, d- I don't even like labels. I just basically well, that, it's something that's important. Siberian. That's the word from Siberian language. But again, there's a lot of controversy with using the term shamanism. But I understand the implications of what it as an identification. I, I don't even like word. identifying as that. Again, yeah, no, no. I totally yeah. understand. The only reason why I even uh, give it that label, I don't know, when I, whenever I have certain conversations, it's just how individuals, uh, they, they could understand it a little bit more. Um, right. But, Isn't you know, I, explain <laughs> I, I, I gather people, you know, and uh, so I, I co-facilitate uh, shamanic circle and see here we go again using the word shamanic but uh, in New York and in Connecticut again we just bring people in, in an open circle uh, in community and uh, just showing them how simple it is with a drum or a rattle and mm. uh, just you know just getting mm. back to basics that's all it well, is no more enough. no less you know absolutely no more no less and the terms yeah. we do get caught up in the and the hyperbole of terms and tags, but we're limited by the language. Yep. We're limited again. We need a new language, new descriptive. Yeah. But ultimately, the frequencies, frequency work. It, you can call it whatever you want, mm-hmm. but getting it done is the key. Make yeah. it happen. Yeah. Do the do. As a, I had a great acting teacher on one point, Warren Robertson, who was we used to sit with Stella Adler between James Dean and. Marilyn Monroe and he's actually in Sayonara with Marlon Brando and he's an incredible teacher. He spoke about awareness and one of the things he said was, burn the plan, do the thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is profound. What did you think, you know? Just get it done. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a, this is a conversation, you know, because we could have the same conversation in silence. We could. We really could. And on that, I shall leave um, 
I have to go and yes. get on to my neck. Again, my thank neck. you so much, Ian. What a pleasure. What an, what an honor. Um, again, I, uh, again, I could have... My honor to be able to communicate in this way. I feel very privileged in that way that I can communicate openly and, and safely. And thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. I am looking forward uh, to Sunday's show in New Haven. Hopefully, I'm going to try to make it out uh, tomorrow in the city. i got to move some things around. Uh, but, yeah, I'm really looking forward to celebrating the music um, and, yeah, just the, 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 the new material, just everything. I, I, and to be quite honest, after what we've been through in the last few years, yeah, this is a true celebration. <laughs> Live music coming, you know, just just to, you know, take part in, uh, uh, again, celebrating with others and, uh, yeah, and just to experience one of my favorite bands. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward. I, 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 the, just one final question, because I did see that you were giving out pollinator uh, packets of yes. seeds, which mm -hmm. I thank you so much for doing that. You know, again, as a as a beekeeper. Um, yeah, it, it means a lot that someone, you know, that a band cares enough <laughs> to have that available, mm -hmm. you know, at, at, at the shows. And uh, yeah, but these I'm, are facilitated by, you know, not not every idea makes it to fruition. Yeah. But unless unless you see it through and the initial initiative came off uh i would seeing a friend was had hang tags there were plantable hand tags mm. actually a company called beyond clothing and uh they're uh, a technical apparel company american made the only american made technical apparel company in the united states in seattle highly ethical uh company and they have hang tags that are plantable like beautiful clothes, mm -hmm. and uh, it's all made in Seattle. Wow, I got a And that. Um, and they have a plantable tag. And a friend of mine was the president of the company, and I was like, "That's an incredible initiative." And they actually have bees in their facility. So, oh wow, um, yeah, um, it's all we have to do. Everyone just do their part. You know, let's all take. You yeah, know, exactly. I'm, so. They're, they're aware and they're conscious and um, conversation came around and at some point we said seed packets. That was a brilliant idea, but the seed packets, the actual first tactile branding of Under the Midnight Sun. Uh, so you get a piece of of the album yeah. for free and it also has a functionality and of course all these, all these initiatives are in their infancy, wherever we can. I mean, I, I spent six months sourcing a hemp uh, blank for the, for the merchandise because mm -hmm. I, I was unhappy with the quality of the materials that we were selling. Mm -hmm. And I encouraged the, we, we've got a very strange uh, situation with our merch. We signed some bad contracts when we were kids, but we do have some control over or influence over that. And I said, look, we're going to be selling, I want to make sure that when people are buying the blanks, they're the best blanks available, ethical cotton and, uh, you know, good quality materials that don't degenerate, that mm. don't put poly, you know, uh, plastics. You are truly hands-on with this because let me tell you, there's nothing yeah. more upsetting than going to a show. You spend 40, 45 bucks on a T-shirt and then it, yeah. it shrinks or it falls apart, you know. Exactly. Well, they're junk and I actually make clothes out of a clothing line. Um, that I've had since 2004. Uh, again, I don't really 
talk about it outside mm. of the band, but um, and I've made many products over the years. And I've actually been brought into uh, to, to consult for various companies, and I do all this privately, and you know I don't look for the shine on that. So, mm. um, but in terms of that, we sourced a really nice hemp garment, and it's the first rendering we've done with a hemp the electric logo cult from 87 which is very popular and fans love it so mm. you know it is a little bit more expensive because of the materials and the production costs but mm. we make it available and it's not you don't have to buy it yeah because we do make a regular version available as well so but we curate a lot of merch we try to be very conscious of the materials and very conscious of the materials but sometimes you're getting blanks from certain areas and vendors only have certain things available and supply and demand and but we are trying to regulate that and and look at better ways of managing uh a merchandise and it's all very well and good for bands like coldplay to say that they're pulling up their anchor and you know they're going to stop but yeah it's fine for them great for you guys please go ahead do what you got to do but a lot of us are out here still trying to work it out and actually work solutions we're not walking away from the problem we're trying to solve the problem Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so, so much for, for yeah. doing all of that. And just, it's just, uh, again, it's just, uh, it's who you are. You're living it. And I totally appreciate uh, everything that you've shared. And yeah, just thank you. continue doing what you're doing, please. I want to see more uh, projects. Yeah. Just keep creating. I would also love, yeah. before we part, I, I would love for you to team up with Rob Marshall from Humanist. Uh, I don't know if you've, listened to any of humanists work no. uh i believe it would be a beautiful beautiful fit he's a buddy rob of mine marshall. yeah rob marshall but the name of his it's called humanist dave gone from uh, depeche mode has worked with him he's worked with so many uh, mark lanigan give that album oh. listen to it and i at the the minute okay. i heard it i was like you rob know marshall humanist i was actually going to work with mark um we were talking about doing he was going to do um songwriting together mm-hmm. uh, through a friend of mine John Cardamone who's from uh, the Chris Line and has worked on very you know many many things but he he, he made Mark's last record and uh, we were going to work together you know and unfortunately you know Mark passed but yeah. um, he's an excellent human being Mark yeah. Yeah. so I'll check it out I'll absolutely I'll go listen to it now give it a listen it was one of those albums you don't know what I went through to actually get it I literally got it from Rob Marshall himself because during mm-hmm. the pandemic you really couldn't source records from the UK it was just bad timing but it was, it's a masterpiece and I thought man oh, Ian Asbury needs to be on the next project I could really I could hear your voice with it just like you've worked with Uncle Boris uh, yeah it's like yeah this is a, this would be beautiful you know I'm more inclined to work with in that sector. Yeah. Um, right now, that, that's actually where I feel really more drawn to the, the gothic futurists, yeah. uh, the, the dark, the dark wave romanticist, uh, ecologist. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a listen, and you'll, and you'll feel it. You'll be like, oh yeah, this is a <laughs> yeah. Or as, as a Bowie called it, Afro paganism. Yeah. There um, you go. Yeah. So. 
But again, a million yeah. thanks, Ian. What a pleasure this has been. I, I Again, this was not an interview. This was, I felt like, uh, I felt a connection yeah. with you. This was a beautiful conversation. I hope in the near future we could have another conversation like this. Absolutely. Uh, so Sunday, I'll, I'm definitely seeing you on Sunday at uh, College Street Absolutely. Music Hall in New Haven. And yeah, on the Blood side on the streets in the town in New Haven. Ex- I was going to I wasn't going to ask you that. <laughs> but By yeah. the way, the photographer took the picture of Jim of Jim Morrison yeah. in Life magazine in New Haven with mm-hmm. a guy called Tim Page. He was an English photographer who was actually in Vietnam mm-hmm. as a war correspondent and actually the very first EP that came out for the cult, the image on it was shot by Tim Page. Wow. Full circle. Full Un- circle. And I actually got to sing that song live. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I'll probably break into it in New Haven. I would love to hear it. Please, please do. I, I cannot wait for Sunday. I hope, you know, another one, uh, again, I don't want to, you know, take more of your time, but I'm, I'm hoping that you could play okay. Rise. Uh, I have never experienced it live. So I, I hope you're playing it this well, you time. Shall. Yeah. So. It's the opening song. Yeah. I, yeah. At that, we open the set with Rise. I, I yeah, it gets my blood pumping like you wouldn't believe. I can't tell you how many yeah, snowboarding I mean, trips were. Yeah. <laughs> Cross yeah. between uh, it's cross between uh, public image and John Lennon. Oh, there you, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You got. Oh my God. Detuned. Detuned. <laughs> it's detuned. Uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. It's a brutalist piece. Yeah. Um, it's pretty brutal. But I get the I get the subtext too. Like those sounds pretty basic. It's not it's pretty smart. Explosive. And like, well, it's supposed to be brutal. It's supposed to be brutalist. The intention of it. It, it no, it is explosive. It oh, every time I listen to it, it's like listening to it for the first time because <laughs> it's just like you know. Now she sells sanctuary. I I that was part of my wedding theme. <laughs> so wow. yeah, That's I had that in the background to set the stage. You know what I mean? Uh, Rise would have got would have really got the crowd really yeah ripping and and you know. <laughs> but well, we rip into it, but then we also get into a very we get into some very interesting emotional geography in the middle of the set and uh you know celebratory towards the end and uh, we have something for for every cult fan of every denomination there is something in this set the set has been built out purely as a live experience mm-hmm. it does feature we've we're beginning to incorporate uh you know we'll probably reveal some more songs mm-hmm. as we have as, as this evolves but we actually had we had a new bass player come in, Charlie Jones, who plays on the album, who mm. actually played with Goldfrapp for 20 years. and oh, played, wow. Who uh, played with Jimmy Page and Robert Plant as well and was in Robert Plant's solo bands. He's a phenomenal musician. Mm-hmm. And he's really uh, integrated the, the band in a way. And we had to replace our keyboard player because he was immune compromised. Um, oh. Sadly, sadly. I actually had the pleasure of meeting him and Grant uh, the last go around yeah. when you were here yeah. in 2017. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I met them in New Haven and at uh, in Brooklyn because uh, I went to that show as yeah. well. Yeah, Brooklyn Steel. But Charlie made sense, you know, because he did play on the record. The record was cut in the UK. I mm-hmm. mean, the backing tracks were cut in the UK, and we because of the the pandemic, we had to work with uh, we had to work in the UK, and um, I had to work. I had to work via, you know, Zoom and that kind of thing. Yep. And uh, but the backing tracks were cut, so I was 
giving all my notes by proxy through the producer and mm-hmm. the guys were picking up my notes and sending me sending me you know music backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and I was giving notes here and giving notes there and they had live sessions and it's Billy on the floor with Billy Tom Dalgety uh, Charlie Jones on bass and Ian Matthews actually from Sabian on drums oh wow so the cult is a, in essence I wouldn't I don't know about being a band it's definitely a project <laughs> I've always got that. That I mean, I I always knew that the cult was you and Billy, way. but I always yeah, yeah I, I would view it that way because uh, you've had so it's many conventional. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting in that way. It yeah. lacks convention. I mean, the John Paul, the days of the John Paul George and Ringo. Yeah, you know, it's not the original members. Well, it actually is. It's the principal members who started in day one. Because when we started, it was Billy and myself. Yeah, day one. And it's still Billy and myself. And we have gone through various different players for various different styles in the same way that Bowie chopped and changed his band. And we've never aspired to be a U2 or Rolling Stones. We've kept the band together. We've kept the marriage together. But what's the point in keeping it together when it doesn't work anymore? It's like, it's just so incredibly, it just doesn't work. I mean, I've walked away for, you know, it's well documented. I walked away from moments for hiatus. Mm -hmm. Partly for my own sanity, and partly because I had other things to do. It happens, as yeah. did as did Billy. But that kept it kept us engaged and kept us connected. We we stayed connected mm-hmm. throughout those periods, and um, you know there was times when we had to put the brakes on and destroy destroy it, rip it to shreds, yeah. and rebuild it. And but it it goes under the umbrella of the cult, yeah. and. As, you know, as I said, it's an extension of Southern Death Cult, et cetera, et cetera. And, I mean, that would be something of interest to me. I'd, I'd love to play with those guys again. You know, that would really that would be, be interesting. amazing and be interesting. interesting. Yeah, and there are some we fans. We never made that... the album. We never made an album. The album was compiled together by Beggar's Banquet. We never actually made a studio album. So that's interesting to hear that, really. So It, it, was, was, just... it was studio sessions we did with John Peel, you know, mm-hmm. John Peel sessions and uh and bits and pieces that were pulled from demos and we actually only recorded in a studio i think we only did three songs wow with, with a real producer yeah the rest of it was radio sessions and they compiled that together but one of the songs i left with was spirit walker mm-hmm. which became a cult song and one of the reasons i walked away from some death cult was because there was no real desire to want to work on that song i'd written so I thought, okay, fine, I'll take it down here. I did. And uh, that was that. Yeah, it would be really interesting what the future holds. I'm looking forward to everything and anything that you have to offer. Yeah, Southern Death Cult, that would really be amazing. <laughs> um, it would, actually. Uh, the more I think about it, it would be really, and actually, it would be an anniversary as well yeah. next year. So we'll see. I mean, it's even the anniversary of the beginning of Billy and I and the demise of that. And it may be something worth looking at. I don't know. I mean, knowing myself, I'll probably do something completely contradictory to everything I've been saying in this conversation. Um, I could be in a monastic retreat. I don't know. Who knows? Let's see what the future holds. You know, thank you once again uh, for your time. You were more than gracious with your time. I truly enjoyed this thank conversation. You. It was a pleasure. And I hope you have a you know a beautiful show and a beautiful rest of the day and an awesome show tonight. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ian. Take, Take care. care. Bless. Take I'll care. see you on Sunday. Bye. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye.
So there you have it. What should have been a 45-minute interview. Ian, honestly, if we didn't have time constraints, this conversation, because this is really what it turned out to be, was a conversation, uh, would have lasted maybe four to five hours. Uh, And so I consider myself very fortunate and blessed uh, to, again, have Ian just grace us, uh, you know, with this time while he's on tour. So I encourage everyone. The once again, I'd like to mention that the cult is releasing, as you heard in the interview, or should I say, the conversation. They have an upcoming album uh, that's coming out in October. It's either seventh or ninth. It's called "Under the Midnight Sun." The single "Give Me Mercy" is already streaming, so feel free to. Uh, to just really to go to your 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 most favorite streaming uh, services, or better yet, listen to Rehumanize Yourself Radio, where I always spin all of the cult classics. And now I'm heavily <laughs> pushing uh, the new single, of which, if you s- listened to the whole conversation, it is just the tip of the iceberg. It's actually one of the mellower. There's just going to be a lot of goodness packed in here. Again, I trimmed the fat to, uh, again, I don't know how much time people have, uh, but I think this is a two and a half hour um, podcast. So uh, I try to trim as much as possible because I don't know how much time you have to dedicate. Perhaps at a later date, I'll chop it up a little bit where it's a little bit more digestible. But if you're a cult fan... You want to listen to this. Just, just, you know, Ian is just riffing, just feeling really comfortable. And I allowed everything to flow out of him with no agenda. I had a few questions. I actually had a ton of questions, but I just let it flow conversation style because, again, it's not every day that you have an artist that just uh, gives you, uh, extends that, that, that much time. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed doing it. And I wish. Ian, Billy, and the rest of the cult a successful tour. I hope they all stay uh, healthy and vibrant. And I hope you go out there to celebrate uh, the music as well. And speaking of celebrating music, I encourage you to tune in to my radio show, Rehumanize Yourself Radio, with your host, Herman Oliveira, at 89.5 WPKN. I'm on every first Friday of the month from 2 to 6 a.m. And you could also uh, take a look at the WPKN.org calendar for all of the fill-in dates that I do through uh, throughout the month. Um, I will be having future interviews with bands and artists, or should I call them conversations? I, I, I prefer to, <laughs> to, to, instead of calling them interviews, let's just call them conversations. Just like I take you on a sonic journey on the radio waves, let's just have conversations. And uh, yeah, so I encourage you to link up for the latest and greatest. You can find it all at WPKN.org, or you can link up with me at on Facebook. I have my own personal Rehumanize Yourself radio page where we could link up there. Us like-minded music lovers, we could uh, connect there. And you could you feel free to, uh, to yeah, just friend me if you wish. Just look up Herman Oliveira uh, on Facebook and I will be there for you. So I look forward to connecting with you and uh, for future shows where, where we continue to go on Sonic Journey and celebrate the music we love.